0: And
1: baby fingers. Hello and welcome to The Conversation. I'm Hyle Russell. And I'm Josh Wallen. And welcome back to the show, Josh. It's a special occasion when you're here. Or it must mean it's a special occasion when you're here. Because I, I save you for
0: important topics. Well, I appreciate that and it is indeed a special occasion because we're here to talk about the death of optimism in the Donkey Kong universe. I mean... It makes me pine for the glory days of the mid-2000s. Like, <laughs> I know some fake fans hated games like Donkey Konga, mm. Donkey Konga 2, uh-huh. but at least they were still trying back then,
1: you know? They were actually releasing Donkey Kong games. Now, you're in a bongo kick lately, I I see from your uh, <laughs> media on the social.
0: Yeah, yeah, I-, I picked up the full boxed with the bongos, like, addition of Donkey Kong Jungle Beat a few weeks ago. I was like, um, that's, it, not to go off on too much of a tangent right here at the start of the episode, (laughs) although it is perfectly in character for us, but, (laughs) but, you know, that game, I originally, it's funny, despite having Donkey Konga, okay, I had Donkey Mm -hmm. Konga, I had the bongos already, and I just completely ignored Jungle Beat because I was like, well, DK Vine hates it, so, I mean, it must suck, right? Mm Mm-hmm, Yeah.
1: That was, a, we'll, well, I'm sure we'll be touching a little bit on Jungle Beat over the course of this episode because it is you know, that, relevant. That, that
0: may be more relevant than we think.
1: Yeah. Uh, basically you're here. This is kind of a follow up to the episode we did back in the spring. The infamous heard any good rumors lately episode. And, and this is kind of addressing a little bit of the fallout from that and what we have learned and what has been officially announced since then. So it, it's basically a realignment episode, right? And I needed to get you back on here to have this proper realignment. And
0: that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna raise some spirits on this episode. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna relentlessly dunk on people who are too who who we think are being too cynical.
1: No, not not at all. Because no? I oh. I empathize and and sympathize with them. Yes, of course. <laughs> because I was there once too. Uh, I it's basically the the story of the the person who falls in the hole, and it's like uh, I, I I need I need help getting out of the hole, and the person who. Uh, Helps him get out of the hole, says, I, I was down in that hole once, too, and I know the way out. Aaron Sorkin tells that story much better on the West Wing, but you have to just trust me. It's very profound when you hear it, it That's and it's not coming from a stammering mess on a Donkey Kong podcast. Uh, before we get <laughs> started, I do want to give the both of us some time for some due diligence, because... We got to plug our wares, our rare wares. Uh, well, in my case, rare wares. Yours are usually Sega wares, <laughs> but <laughs> more often than not lately, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of where your bread and butter. You're more of a general gaming channel than uh, I am. When I say channel, I mean your YouTube channel. I'm I'm mm-hmm. more stretched out, but um, I don't I don't focus on YouTube. But y- you're more general gaming, but you still have your obvious. Like core fandom, which I always attribute to Sonic the Hedgehog. So, you know, uh, it is what it is. But real quick, on my end, I want to plug that the conversation is now on Spotify. Which might not mean much if you're listening to this, but if you usually pull it up on like YouTube, uh, I mean, some some people do. So that's some people's preferred way to listen to it. But you know, by and large, most people find us on a podcast network. Apple Podcasts or all the derivatives of that. But if you prefer to listen to podcasts on Spotify, and I know that's a growing number of people, we're now on Spotify. It took a while to get on there because, long story short, it didn't like our XML code, and we had to figure out what was keeping Spotify from reading it. It was something really, really stupid. And honestly, it was Spotify's fault, not ours. But we got it sorted out. We're on Spotify now. Uh, thanks to the Matt Corna and Mitchell Wolf and the team of technicians that it took to figure out why the code was not being read, but we did it. And, uh, yeah. So if you want, want to listen to us on Spotify now, you have the opportunity. Hoping to grow our audience there. If this is your first time listening to the conversation, cause you're a down and out Donkey Kong fan who heard this episode would lift your spirits. Welcome. Great to have you. Hopefully we can welcome, do it welcome. for you. Uh, but Josh, talk to us really quick about the Geek Critique and any recent videos you might want to plug.
0: Oh, okay. The Geek Critique is, I mean, general gaming, man, like that's, uh, <laughs> that at this point I feel like is just such a a wide, <laughs> covers such a wide base that I, I think more than anything what I focus on tends to be just properties, in, increasingly seems to be things that like were popular in, a, in like the 90s, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, uh, I for, mean, be- for better and worse, I guess. Um, you you get you up just... to the mid aughts though.
1: I mean, you yeah, you, yeah. you stretch your limbs a bit.
0: Yeah, and like, um, you know, you were just talking about Spotify. I'm like, well, I've <laughs> I've always subscribed to the conversation via the RSS feed because <laughs> I learned <laughs> because I'm just technologically perpetually stuck in about 2005. Yeah. I try not to be, but when you're busy. Like I'm I'm so
1: busy with DK Vine and and life in general and trying to find that balance, you know. I want to be a working gal that has it all, right? Just like those cigarette mm-hmm. commercials in the 1990s promised. But um, <laughs> you know, they 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 don't keep the world standing still for you. And, and sometimes you blink and you look up and you're, you're like, oh, oh, I'm supposed to be using this now. I'm just, wait, wait, my, my earbuds are now supposed to be
0: ear pods? Since when? I, I, I'm fine with the ones I use. I don't. Why wouldn't I just buy individual music tracks on Amazon Music? I don't know what Spotify is. Yeah. Uh, I still like having ownership, even if it's of digital files. I don't want to. Yeah,
1: screen, I know yeah. what you mean. <laughs> Uh, it's, I mean, I, I still have a a massive CD collection because I feel like, well, at least then I can make digital copies of it, but I still have the, the artwork and I can thumb through the book and have a nice box set or something. So.
0: Well, anyway, I, to, to plug, to plug my newest video, the (laughs) the last thing I did was, uh, Sonic Jam, which came out just about a week ago. Sonic uh, Jam, yeah. That, that was from the,
1: what was it? 1996?
0: 97. That was the. That was the one Sonic game that Sonic Team made for the Sega Saturn, and it was a compilation, a very loving, very reverent, like, compilation of the first four games on the Genesis, which is funny to think about that they are doing this, like, nostalgia museum co- compilation for a series that was, at that time, only six years old. Yeah. I'd be, like, be like, let's look back on the incredible legacy of Splatoon. I mean, that that would be like when Dark Kong Country came out in the Game Boy
1: Color, and you're like... That was only six years removed from it being yeah, that's a Super true. Nintendo, yeah. and and it was just like, well, why? I can just play this on my Super Nintendo.
0: Th- this <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Why didn't they just make a new game? Yeah, we. I think Nintendo fans through like the GameCube and GBA generation, we had like we like people kept complaining about re-releases and like you know the lack of new games. They just keep re-releasing this old stuff. But, like, nobody ha- was taking any account into the fact that, like, you know, like-, like we've talked about many times before, like, those GBA DKC games meant that, like, kids of the 2000s, like, had a lot of the s- a lot of very similar formative gaming memories as we did. Yeah. Like, they were so much more important than, like, we were giving them credit for back then, just because, you know, we-, we were very myopic fans. Unless you were a Diddy Kong Racing fan that's true yeah isn't it conspicuous how you know you hear people say oh man i grew up with dkc on the dba you never hear any anybody talk about diddy kong racing ds
1: no uh as it should be yeah, <laughs> as much as i like aspects of that game it, it's sort of like it's more of an intellectual like rather than a visceral oh i love that it's it, it is what it is uh we, we have a lot but, to discuss, Josh, yes. o- on this episode. And, uh, knowing us, we're going to be long-winded about it. So, knowing us, uh, we're going to stop the due diligence because I could plug our, our various patre- Patreons or, or whatever else we have in the, uh, the oven right now. Whatever, we're, what tasty treats we're baking up. But I'm not going to do that because I want to tell you a little story. It's story time with Heil, So sit down. Okay. Uh, it's a story about something that was absolutely huge in popular culture for a brief spell in the 1990s, in, into the early aughts. You know, it, it captured. Finally,
0: so I've been waiting for the Sex in the City conversation. Let's do it.
1: <laughs> you know, this is something that captured mainstream attention. And while certain purist snobs like to turn their nose up at it, it was undeniably catching on with. Audiences who didn't normally go for that sort of thing, but they really liked what was being offered here. And it felt like its popularity would never end, all until a large corporate buyout killed the momentum dead. And there would be flashes of a resurgence from time to time throughout the years, but it would always peter out. It would always be anticlimactic, disappointing the loyal fans who just wanted things to go back to the way they were in the 90s. And I'm of course referring to the art of professional wrestling. Now
0: <laughs> it always comes back to this, doesn't it?
1: I don't I don't know if I've done this opening with you before, but if if I have,
0: then we really are just locked in a cycle uh, of time. But <laughs> oh, I don't I don't recognize this opening. I'm just like, ah, of course it's wrestling. I, it was going to be either that or Power Rangers, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the, the so, Disney buyout. <laughs> so
1: listen. Uh, Pro wrestling, it, it, it saw uh, unparalleled success, of course, in, in the 1990s with uh, WCW's NWO storyline and, and things like Sting and Gold Goldberg and, you know, what have you. And the WWF's Attitude Era with Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock. I don't need to explain it to anybody. Uh, you've all heard the names, but... And Diamond Dallas Page.
0: Diamond Man, Dallas Page. People are always Page. like, people are always like, WCW never made any stars. They just put, po- no, fuck you, DDP. Yeah. <laughs> and Diamond Dallas Page,
1: <laughs> apologies. So. Thank you. After WCW was bought out by the WWF uh, in 2001, about a year and a half before another buyout, which I, hopefully there's a misdirection there. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, the, the WWF bought out WCW and they're now WWE, but, uh the wrestling boom uh kind of cooled down quickly cooled down actually and and then it we we just were stuck with this kind of monopoly and this, this stagnation of it as an art form and there would like i said occasionally be exciting glimpses of uh, of like recapturing the magic because it's interesting wrestling right. It's interesting, Josh, because mm. you wouldn't think I would be somebody who would be kind of taken in by it, but I find it absolutely enthralling as a concept that sports uh, sports aren't exciting for me because I, I feel like it's all just a bunch of stats and uh, it, it's all very arbitrary. It's like, it's like math for jocks, right? Mm-hmm. But with wrestling – if you predetermine the outcome, you can just do all sorts of crazy shit. You can add lore, storylines, uh, pathos, mythology. It, it can just be off the rails. And indeed, that's when wrestling is its most exciting is when it's, it feels like a legitimate sporting event that is actually going off it, the rails. Like, oh, oh no. Like imagine if you're watching, say, uh, the NFL, Niffle. And, and all of a sudden, gang warfare broke out on the field. You're like, what the fuck is happening? Oh my God. That guy just got stabbed. That guy just got thrown through, uh, the, the goalpost. Uh, like that, that is insane.
0: Yeah. The, uh, the team that the home team would like beat in a close one last week comes back. They all come back and they just interrupt the game and wreck the stadium.
1: Yeah. <laughs> or, or like a team member like takes the ball and then like, like all of a sudden, starts running in the opposite direction and puts it in the, the opposing team's field. Uh, what was it? Touchdown zone? I, I don't know.
0: <laughs> the, the the end zone,
1: I believe. End zone. Okay. And then they rip out off their jersey and they they have the other team's jersey. And yes. they're kind of like... <laughs> you know, that's the kind of crazy shit that you can do in wrestling if you just determine the outcome and don't have any of this legitimate competition. Uh, it's fantastic, but. So that's what it's always intrigued me. I was like, if you were like a, a, a creative sort who had control of a wrestling promotion, I think that would be one of the most fun writing jobs in the absolute universe, right? Um, so you know, I, I I've always kind of had a interest. I haven't been interested in it uh, much in, in in like the last twenty years, uh, aside from a couple of flourishes here and there. Uh, like I'd hear about the CM Punk guy, right? And I'd be like, Oh, that sounds cool. What, what he's doing. I want to check that out. And it ultimately goes nowhere, but you're still in, you were still intrigued for that brief moment. Oh, but man, it should have. (laughs) But I bring all of this up because despite the um, trajectory wrestling went on, there's now hope again for, for lapsed wrestling fans. Uh, with, with the new, new-ish company promotion, All Elite Wrestling, AEW. And and it's you know getting all these headlines. It's getting uh, all of this attention, pulling in all of these viewers that haven't watched it in years because it's kind of doing all the things that the fans had wanted for so long um, who weren't really taken in by Vince McMahon's product. So mm-hmm. I just find it interesting that this is happening. Right around the same time that we're hearing all of these rumblings for another lost 90s child (laughs) in Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Country. (laughs) Uh, Because right around the same time that wrestling collapsed, Rare was bought by Microsoft. And while things continued for Donkey Kong, it felt like there was no longer any direction. It felt like it was kind of aimless. And all of the momentum that had built up from 94 to roughly 99 was kind of lost. And even when we had those resurgences, those flashes of hope, Donkey Kong Country Returns, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, they ultimately didn't really lead anywhere. And now we're in this position where we've got our own all elite wrestling for Donkey Kong. Uh, And it's exciting. And that is, of course, everything that's happening behind the scenes that we've reported on on the conversation and talked about on DK Vine. So, Josh, when you were last on this podcast, we discussed the big rumor that has been given to me by my sources, who I trust implicitly, that Nintendo EPD is working on a Donkey Kong game. Right? Um, and, and this is something we've been talking about for a couple of years on the conversation. But whereas we kind of broke the story via the conversation, it still went under the radar in mainstream sources until some high profile leakers started talking about it in the run up to this last E3. And then it became this huge thing. And and honestly, like DK Vine's involvement in the story probably wouldn't have been known had some of our faithful listeners actually like written in to some of these sites and said, Hey, DK Vine had the story first. And, and then it kind of snowballed from there. And uh, uh, thank you for going to bat for us. I mean, that always feels great, but it, it definitely triggered a lot of anxiety on my end at, at that point, because I shared my concern about it on the episode we did. What happens and ultimately, what did happen if the game wasn't revealed at E3? Because I didn't think it was going to be announced at this past E3. I, n- I never really thought it was. But you get these leakers, you get these rumors, you get these news stories going a month before E3. Then that's all anybody's going to be focused on. That is going to be the story is Nintendo's working on a new uh, Donkey Kong game. What's the date? Oh, we're a month out from E3. Yeah, it's definitely going to be announced then. And if it isn't, then this story isn't true.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and that kind of thing can make, like, disappointment so much more palpable. Like, a relevant example that I that I remember is, like, in the build-up to E3 2013, like, I didn't even care if about getting a new Metroid game at that point. I wasn't a fan of Metroid yet. But just the... I had just gleaned from like sheer Nintendo osmosis that it, like the, the feeling in the air was that Retro must surely be working on a new Metroid game. Yeah. And that, that feeling was so strong that when it was revealed that they, that they weren't, like, you know, obviously Donkey Kong <laughs> Country Tropical Freeze's initial reception, like, it got a lot of blowback just for, for not being that. Oh, they removed the blowback from Tropical
1: Freeze. Miyamoto wasn't there to tell them to make put it in.
0: <laughs> Bam! As Donald nice would say, I, I did not know where you were going with that. That was good. <laughs> Ooh,
1: yeah, yeah. It that the I think raised expectations of it. This is one thing if, if DK Vines talking about. It. If you're listening to it on the conversation, you hear this, you know, because I, I. I'll, I'll, you know honestly honestly josh i say a lot more than i'm supposed to sometimes on this show uh some things i've been made privy to i'll just let kind of slip out from time to time hmm. and i won't treat it like a big deal and and kind of completely goes under the radar with this i've been more upfront about it's like hey this is what i'm hearing a uh, big build-up let me be dramatic about it but still you know i i, I don't write big news stories i don't go to the the major gaming forums and be like, this is what I hear. I am high. or well, I am a leaker. Uh, you I, don't, I don't make a bunch of
0: clickbaity YouTube videos about it.
1: No, uh, you know, I, I, I just focus on my product and if people can gleam anything from it, then, you know, go ahead. But, um, I, that, that's not my game. That's just, that's just too, uh, anxiety-inducing, as I said, because then everybody's gonna, like, call you a fraud if something doesn't immediately come true. Mm-hmm. And I'm also, like, not about, like, spoiling things. Like, I, I think, like, saying that, hey, they're working on a Donkey Kong game isn't spoiling things because people need that hope. People need something to hang on to. But, you know, if... I I made aware of this like big cool thing that maybe like Platonics working on or or rare's working on. I don't want to come out and say like, hey, they're doing this, ha ha ha, beat them to the punch. Uh, so anyway, and, uh, and that's kind
0: of uh, that's kind of like an interesting facet of I guess being I don't want to say on the inside, but like <laughs> Lord, being no. privy being privy to like video game rumors is that in my experience, because, you know, we've both heard about things, we've both, like, known things before they've happened before, mm-hmm. but, like, so much of what you get, and, and the way that these, like, mainstream leakers, quote-unquote mainstream leakers, but, you know, the way that they talk, that they talk about things, really strikes me as, like, so often what, you, what you'll what you hear in a situation like this is, like, just these very basic, like, a ba- a very basic outline of what the plan is. Yeah. Like, and it seems like a lot of what they do is they take what they hear and they extrapolate like out of that. Mm-hmm. And and you know they make like logical inferences based on. But it but it always just kind of strikes me as like I don't want I don't know if the ter- right term is conspiratorial thinking where you're like you you have a conclusion and you're using this evidence to reach that conclusion and it and it's it's logically sound and it makes sense, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily true. Yeah.
1: And, and I, I think that's a large part of how the game is played. It, it's kind of like mm-hmm. psychic reading, like, uh, cold reading where you, 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 you kind of piece together the dots, um, of, of somebody's life and it makes it seem like you're psychic, but you're not really. And, you know, mm-hmm. some leakers, I'm sure actually get real information. Uh, I'm not, I'm not saying that people don't. It's just, um, cause, cause if we're getting it, Other people are getting, you know, it's it's one of those things where there are totally valid uh, people with sources, and then there are people who are just bullshit artists. But you can't really determine if you're on the outside
0: who is who. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So I I don't like. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's it's not that it's not real. It's that all you really like you don't you you know that something is happening, mm-hmm. you know you have this one maybe one or two little pieces of information, but you don't know when it's happening, you don't know what it's going to look like, you don't know like in what form it'll take yeah and i'm being I'm being vague here on purpose, but you know yeah
1: um but anyway, e three came and went, and we didn't get the announcement, and they specifically mm-hmm. said at the end of that direct, you know we're working on other games that we're not ready to show off. But it, it was basically like the rest of the day then of that Tuesday was basically me getting
0: hate messages. It sucks so hard. It's not your fault.
1: Right. But, but you know, that I, I knew that was going to come too, you know. And, and unfortunately, you know, when you put yourself out there like that. Um, yeah. you kind of have to brace yourself for that. And so I, I, I'm not, I wasn't really like upset about it. I'm, I'm not so delicate that I can't handle. It. I mean, I'm pretty delicate. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm a mess, but <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> as far as that aspect of the job goes, you know, I, I'm kind of prepared for it. Uh, but it, it was what I didn't want. And it wasn't so much me getting the hate. It was the mood it put the fandom in. And because mm-hmm. I, I didn't want them plunged into the sense of pessimism or this sense of doubt that this was happening. Um, but ultimately that's what happened. And then to make matters even worse worse, Josh, we hit Donkey Kong's 40th anniversary in July. And I'm very proud of what DK Vine did for it. We had the big conversation, it was a big celebratory podcast. We had special appearances from many of the creators who contributed to the legacy over the years. I mean, it was really cool. Um, but none of the Nintendo Twitter accounts tweeted anything about Donkey Kong that day or that week or that month or that summer. Um, then when it was Metroid's 35th anniversary, they did tweet about it. And you you, you brought up Metroid and, and Retro Studios mm-hmm. and the history between Metroid and and the donkey kong fandom (laughs) and so so when donkey kong's 40th anniversary gets ignored by social media accounts run by nintendo employees uh, and metroid's 35th anniversary doesn't get ignored drama ensues believe it or not that is a very (laughs) volatile equation right there and lo and behold the Donkey Kong community was plunged into a darkness I have not seen since 2009, Josh. <laughs> it was bad. <Batman. laughs> and you know, I, I am an upbeat guy. I mean, no, let me take that back. I am bipolar, and I suffer from crippling bouts of depression. Why, just this week alone, I, I was rocked off my ass with, with bouts of self-loathing. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I might have had a little bit too much to drink uh, last night. I'm fine. I'm fine. Uh, It happens. And then I'll find a manic upswing. And I'll be like uh, Kanye Light. And it'll be fantastic. I will be just off my ass with manic energy. I'm looking forward to that. I haven't had that since 2019, by the way. I miss it. I miss it so much. Um, (laughs) Anyway, where I'm going with this, though, is that... Uh, I try to be upbeat, mostly because of the way my brain chemistry is wired. You know, I, I'm generally I, – I find that it's not good to wallow in cynicism because it ultimately is not productive, both for your own health and for the health of others. And that is a lesson that I learned the hard way. You know, in, in my 20s, I was the most cynical, pessimistic person uh, alive, right? I, I was miserable, it was just funny because I think at my heart, I'm an optimist, but I was just hard on myself. I was hard on everything I loved. And it, it ultimately you know, led, led me to therapy and to reevaluate how I perceive things. And so with the new era of DK by that was ushered in. It took me a while to kind of find my voice in it, that voice in something that had been around when I was at my most miserable. But I eventually got there. And uh, so, despite me being Mr. Positive, uh it, it kind of got harder as the summer wore on to be positive in the face of the unrelenting pessimism. Because this uh, sort of dormant feud between Metroid fans and Donkey Kong fans, it's also stupid. It's stupid. But it exists. It's
0: out there. And, and it's interesting, too, because, like, Basically, the the we're we're in like the exact opposite situation now relative to those two fandoms that we were in in uh like in 2013 uh-huh. because like you know I I love both of the, both of those franchises like and it, it when, when I hear stuff like this it's like well of course they're gonna acknowledge Metroid because Metroid Dread's coming out in just a, well like now just a few days yeah so like you know they've got an announced game to promote so like. Of course, they're gonna take the opportunity to make a big deal about it. And I brought this up too before that very point. I have brought up mm-hmm. it's like
1: N- Nintendo's social media accounts, by and large, are there to promote the next product. They they are not so much let us embrace the legacy of Nintendo, the glorious history that is the Big N. L- l- let us open up the vaults and let it spill out into your social media feeds. Happy
0: twenty fifth anniversary to t- to Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's the way it
1: should be i do agree i i think nintendo is is uh with, with all due respect for the people who work for it and and work under very strict mandates because that's what they are it's not the people who work for their social media accounts fault it is the hierarchy's fault and in every studio every company has certain levels of control they could do i think the most like off the chain I've seen is Platonic's social media accounts at times. Um, you know, as far as like freedom to tweet whatever they want. But it's an indie studio, right? In relation mm-hmm. to DK Vine, they have the most freedom. Um, Nintendo has the least amount of freedom. And it's all in service of what they have to sell at that particular moment. So, while I agree that it should be more all-encompassing, it's not. And we can't be so upset that it just so happened that Metroid's game is getting out the door this year, and Donkey Kong's isn't ready to show off. Um, so,
0: anyway, uh, but... and like, I guess, I guess the first point I want to make is that, like, you know, you say you're seeing the, these levels of cynicism and these levels of like, of like, direness that you haven't seen since 2009, and like, my initial reaction to that cuz you know like you said you've been through this and that's 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 sort of maybe the the core point of this whole episode is that like we've been through this yeah we we've been here before so like i would imagine that the majority of the cynicism and the the the, the like for lack of a better term the 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 doomers that are that are making the noise that are making this kind of noise are probably, like, probably just haven't been through that yet. And, and like, they they don't have any, like, personal recollection of, like, what the buyout era was like for DK fans on the internet at that time.
1: That's a solid point. You know, I, I forget how old I am at times, which is funny, because that's really the topic I'm about to bring up. But mm-hmm. my experience with the Donkey Kong country fandom, right? Ha- I've been there from the start. Um, I, and I I co-launched dk vine co-founded it so it's kind of this thing where i just assume that the grand narrative that is donkey kong country and the shared universe that kind of sprang out for it is just something we all know and we've all been through the ups and downs together Um, then that applies as the years go by to fewer and fewer people (laughs) Yeah. As more Donkey Kong fans are made, sure, but as as others kind of drift away or have drifted away, there's there's still long-timers out there, uh and I'm thankful for all of you. <laughs> but I am the old man of the community now. I am I am the cranky Kong, except I'm trying not to be cranky. I'm trying to be um sort of the pay-on era cranky where I'm surprisingly helpful and I don't have many bad things to say. <laughs> so I, I, I say all this, right? Because I, I am somebody who tries to base their whole fan persona and and me being the ambassador of online Donkey Kong fandom. I I say all that as as somebody who tries to keep their heads above the clouds, but still can feel blue from time to time because it's it's taxing. Um it it wears down on you to constantly be this upbeat person and and knowing what I know I have no reason not to be upbeat but just kind of the collective I said ennui uh, both in a tweet mm-hmm. about this and on the last episode I did with Malik I, I said it was just this sense of ennui and, and that's kind of the best way to describe it also it's a French word and, and feelings of uh, sadness and Donkey Kong I often associate with the French <laughs> <laughs> uh full of them tonight what really i think set me on a, a a blue bear path was ironically when i was first breaking down the concept for this episode i contacted you and i was like josh i i want to do a conversation that's kind of a follow up to what we talked about last spring uh kind of reflective of where we are as a fan base now and i uh, you know i always pick my co-host for these podcast sort of like what topic is most tailor-made for a particular person uh, in, in our community or as part of the DK Vine staff or just a close friend of mine? And for you, it's always episodes that kind of touch upon fandom in general and and sort of the generational highs and lows that, that come with being a fan of a property. and And so – I think you would be the natural pick even if you weren't on that episode last spring but it, it was always going to be you so I I pitched yeah, because t-
0: we've we've both been like we both been on the internet for like geez in my case like 27 years at this point Yeah <laughs> I th- I think you're pretty close to that too um, but like more importantly than just how long we've been on the internet we've been involved in fandoms for literal decades at this point and we've kind of seen these cycles play out several times now
1: yeah uh it it kind of becomes old hat after a while and you just want to get out in front of it and say no this is the way it goes (laughs) trust me yeah but all all the same uh when i was breaking down the concept for this episode they had announced the nintendo direct And the September Nintendo Direct uh, that we talked about on the last episode. Malik and I talked about on the last episode. And, you know, I I said there why the whole Nintendo Direct cycle is exhausting for me. Uh, But what's really, I think, relevant to this topic is why this particular Nintendo Direct announcement kind of hit me right between the eyes. It set off all of these trending tweets, right, of the games that people wanted to see at this nintendo direct and of course it's super mario uh, odyssey 2 uh right it's it, it's all mm-hmm. of these games that weren't donkey kong people have already written off this donkey kong epd game as something that's not happening it was a fake rumor from the spring it's it's been uh deconfirmed because it didn't show up uh, but they can continually, you know, pull things like Odyssey 2 out of the mothballs, right? Because that, that's definitely gonna happen. Oh, they're not doing Donkey Kong because that would have been announced at E3. So obviously Nintendo EPD hasn't branched off into a, a new team. They're doing Odyssey 2. There is no Donkey Kong game. Uh, Nintendo fandom is weird, Josh, because I, I tend to notice that they always focus on things that they have already been. Right, there was a Super Mario Odyssey game on a Switch, so obviously there's going to be a sequel. Uh, they they can never like think about what what has not Nintendo done in a while. What property is next up in line?
0: <laughs> right? Which is actually strange for Mario, especially because like how how many Mar how many like mainline Mario games get direct sequels on the same platform? Like, I know Galaxy did, but there's not there's not very many galaxy ruined everything man when
1: galaxy got a sequel <laughs> it put the notion in people's heads and so everybody who's predictive about this stuff it has no inside knowledge or even follows the trends people who don't really connect the dots about what's happening right they, they just know well galaxy got a sequel that came out pretty early in the system's lifespan obviously odyssey is going to get a sequel <laughs> and look odyssey might get a sequel i don't know uh it won't affect the donkey kong game at all Anyway, so I, I was just looking at all these top topics about what Nintendo Twitter was getting hot and bothered about. And I felt so old, Josh. I felt like a man out of time. And I did something I shouldn't have done. I went to the Internet Archive and in the Wayback Machine, and I looked at Nintendo's website from the year ni- 2000. Actually, I was looking for late 1999, but instead pulled up like very early two thousand. And what I saw really depressed me because I saw my Nintendo, uh, the Nintendo that's long gone, the Nintendo that's kind of been forgotten
0: about. And I felt old. I felt older Maybe. than dirt. We are, we are so similar in this regard because, because <laughs> <laughs> I, cause like seeing, like you tweeted about this. Yeah, I did. And it made me feel the same way. And you know, you're, you're describing the process of how you got there. And like, I do the same things. I'm like, man. <laughs> I just, I don't feel like Twitter is particularly representative of me or my interests or my opinions. Let's just go, let's just go, like, look at what TV Tropes said about this in, like, 2011. Ah, uh, there There we go, that's more like it.
1: And and look, this isn't me being like, oh, the world was so much better in, in the right, late right. 90s, early aughts. In a lot of ways, um, we're we're a lot more forward-thinking, a lot more loving, a lot more empathetic. Aesthetic, as like a general court society thing Yes, there, there's extremism uh, That's been heightened Yes, the world is a scary place Much more scary
0: overall Than it was in the 90s But, but on the bright side, the man show isn't on anymore <laughs> All I've said is it's it's a matter of perspective,
1: right? But hmm. I think when I, I'm feeling like this it, It's me kind of In one part mourning not being a kid again, right? Like Mm -hmm. not, not being a kid anymore. And, and the simplicity that was involved there, but it's also just, I'm passionate about this stuff. I want to say I am a Nintendo fan and I don't want to put an asterisk next to that and say, I'm a Nintendo fan. But what I really mean is, I'm a Donkey Kong fan. But what, what I mean by that is, I'm a rare Donkey Kong fan. So I guess I'm really more of a rare fan. Now, they're with Xbox now, and that's fine. But let me just explain to you the Donkey Kong universe and what that entails. Uh, it's, it's, it's tiring. But when I was looking at this website, I could have just said I was a Nintendo fan then and it would have been perfectly applicable because there was like Diddy Kong Racing's crunch, very prominent as one of the main character icons that, you know, there was Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong in his Diddy Kong Racing plane and and everything that I love and hold dear that's been
0: forgotten about in the last 20 years. not only you could have, you did, but because I remember, you know, I remember early DK Vine talking about, oh, you know, Sega, Sega's coming out with this Dreamcast, that might be okay, but it can't compete with the power of Nintendo.
1: Yeah, I I mean, yeah, I, I was a full-on Nintendo zealot, dude, like, exactly. it, it it seems funny to say now, considering I feel like I've been pushed out of that fandom, because, it, I, don't, I don't know, it, it feels like that my era of Nintendo, and I guess your era of Nintendo, um, is irrelevant to the to the to the overall discussion, to to the conversation that is Nintendo. Not conversation so, note noted, it just conversation, because uh my era of Nintendo, uh mid 90s to early aughts, like like late SNES through Nintendo 64, it almost feels counterfeit, not authentic to what came before and what came after, which is something we've talked about before.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess maybe we should we should say what was actually on this website from from what what was early 2000, because yeah, I saw the same thing and it made me feel very similarly. This this sort of like. This, this sort of realization, in my case, not just of like what was, but how fast it changed after that. It's like a blink of because, an eye. Yeah. Because what you've got, what you've got on this website is like, it's just, you know, it's, it's very, it's a very late nineties, early two thousands web design, but like, it's, I think, I remember Banjo, Banjo and Kazooie on the Nintendo logo. Yeah. Like they, like they were the, <laughs> they were held up on, the, on that regard as being on that level of like, of like a Nintendo mascot. Um and then like all the buttons were decorated with with various Nintendo characters and you had I believe like Diddy Kong, you know, right there alongside like Fox and Yoshi.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it I I don't know, like it and it it's frustrating too cuz the buyout and and so much of the politics around that it, it it was a direct result of all of the management changes at Nintendo at the time, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it, it feels kind of icky to, to bring up that it was Iwata who took over around that time. Because it feels like I'm blaming him. And I'm not. I respect Iwata so much. I would never speak ill of him, you know, but... Iwata became president, uh, Howard Lincoln left Nintendo of America, and even like people like Ken Lobb, who were big rare advocates in Nintendo of America, left for Microsoft, which is kind of how they got the wheels greased, uh, ultimately for the buyout when Rare went to Nintendo and said, Hey, could you buy us?
0: Uh, could you just buy us outright? And Nintendo said, no. <laughs> <laughs> like I was talking uh I was talking to a fellow YouTuber, Exoparadigm gamer, about this who was about seven, seven years younger than me. He he grew up with a GameCube. Um and we were just kind of discussing this sort of like to me like growing up as a as a late like just like you said, a late era SNES slash N64 kid, Rare was like inseparably part of why I liked Nintendo's consoles. Yeah. Like you cannot like, trying to imagine... I, th- I think a long time like a long time ago, one of the first episodes I was on was that Super Nintendo uh, mini episode. And we discussed, like, a hypothetical uh, N64 mini. And, w- we, you know, we said it back then and well, it's true now. Can, How can, can you... I, can I just say really quick... Trying to imagine an N64 without Rare is just, like, impossible.
1: Can I just say really quick that, uh, speaking to what I know it 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 was bandied about at one time, definitely hypothetical mm-hmm. ultimately in reality, but it was being bandied about in Nintendo, and for whatever reason they decided not to do it so well, <laughs> be that what it may but um yeah yeah it 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 is like a whole defining era of my childhood into my teens into young adulthood uh. It was just kind of re- rendered non-canon by what is Nintendo, right? By by the tastemakers. And so you've mm-hmm. got the uh, NES era, the early Super Nintendo. Uh, Nintendo 64 only has highlights. Like, oh, yeah, there's Super Mario 64 and the Zeldas. <laughs> you know? And, yeah. Well, and then other stuff happened. We won't really dwell on that. And then the GameCube. Uh, and it... You know, it is what it is. We we've talked
0: about the generational shift before, but you know, yeah. So like like to me, I always felt there was this like phantom pain. Not not Metal Gear Solid Five, the phantom pain, but there was this phantom pain with the GameCube because like before it came out and before. Uh, just I, really even after it came out look, I I used to look at the back of the box and look at that render of Donkey Kong Racing and think about all the great sequels to to my favorite N64 games that were inevitably going to come out on this yeah um so it always just felt like something was like something was missing with the GameCube uh compound that with the fact that during that time Nintendo was taking this this very this, this approach where like it's one of those things where you can either be better than or different than, and they were consistently choosing to be different than. Uh-huh. Uh, Super Mario Sunshine was not trying to be better than Mario sixty four; it was trying to be different. Sure. Uh, same thing with stuff like The Wind Waker. Some, same thing with like Jungle Beat in comparison to DK sixty four and the uh, and the classic trilogy. So it always just felt like in the span of like just a couple of years, everything changed for Nintendo, and. Whereas to like somebody like Exo Paradigm Gamer who grew up with the GameCube, that was just the way it was. Al- that was just the way it always was. Yeah, I like mean, that. That that stuff was as formative to him as you know Super Mario sixty four, Mario Kart sixty four, Donkey Kong Country. That was ni- that was <laughs> that was Nintendo to me. Whereas Mario Sunshine, Luigi's Mansion, um, I don't know, Chibi Robo. You know, that yeah, was Nintendo yeah. to him. I mean, it's wild because it wasn't just Nintendo. It felt like
1: everything changed around that time. I, I mentioned wrestling a- as the kind of parallel example of what was happening. But, I mean, not not to get too dark too quickly here, but nine eleven 11 happened yeah. uh, right around the same time. All of this was uh, changing, and that really was like the-, the end of the 90s right there. Because there's always that bleed-through uh you know the the an early part of the decade is basically a continuation of the previous decade. The early nineties were the eighties extended just as the right. early eighties were essentially the late seventies um nine eleven marked the end of the nineteen nineties and then after that, it was just nothing, nothing was the same culturally or or what was in the zeitgeist and um and then it, it was made even more weird by me because that is when I kind of reached adulthood, or or mm-hmm. what society defines as adulthood. Obviously, your your brain is still maturing into your mid twenties. You know, you're you're not really an adult, and we know that now un- until you hit you know uh, a certain age, which is why the mid twenties is probably the most volatile time for your brain. Um, so all of my friends went through the mid twenties kind of crisis, uh, that, that is like, oh my God, I feel like there's a storm going on in my brain. What's happening? Oh, everything's terrible. But yeah, it, it, it was just, it felt like my childhood was being ripped from me in every conceivable way and, and rare being bought by Microsoft. I I should rephrase that nintendo not buying rare and then them yeah. going with microsoft because that is actually the correct way of thinking about it again they would have been fine staying with nintendo it was nintendo
0: who ended that relationship pretty much um but and then, um, and in terms of gaming like the sixth generation was really like the point where I've, I've talked about this on twitter and and on the channel before in various ways like we got into sort of the main, a a much more mainstreamification of gaming Yeah, where before like games targeted primarily children for quite some time. And if you were, if you were into them outside of that demographic, then you were probably some kind of an enthusiast, you know, like you, you read the magazines, you kept up on the internet, like you, you were a self-identifying gamer. And I feel like around that time with the, with 3D graphics getting much more robust and realistic and more believable. So, you know, people didn't feel like they were, they were playing like cartoons. Yeah. (laughs) That was part of it. Uh, Along with the PS2, having that built in DVD player and getting a lot of people on board like that. Um, along with just games, having the fun, having the capability to have like deeper stories and more varied mechanics. Like we really started seeing a lot more, um, Like, I've said before that I I consider, like, the fall of 2001 very specifically the most prominent dividing line between what I consider, like, retro gaming in the industry of old and, like, something much, much closer to the the sort of status quo we have now. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) This is all kind of
1: prelude to get to the point. Because, you know... I, I think it's only natural to feel down at, at times when you feel the weight of everything kind of hit you at once. And, and you're not prepared for it. You're not braced for it. We're only human. We're flesh and blood and a lot of weird brain chemicals. And so we were preparing to do this episode and then an intended direct hit – and ironically, the Nintendo Direct, I think, realigned the mood of a lot of the fan base. So I was like, should we still do this episode? And I was like, no, it, it still applies. Because we can, we can touch upon um, some of this in, into the larger narrative. Um, and, and then, of course, there was a bigger announcement. I mean, theoretically bigger for the Donkey Kong fandom after the Direct, after Malik and I did our episode. And we'll be touching upon that as well. But... Thinking about like how how briefly pessimistic I got, not not pessimistic, uh, just morose about mm. you know feeling out of place with Nintendo fandom. It took me back to the buyout era when I first felt like this, and I was enraged by it, because uh, because the buyout era, which is what we refer to at DK Vine, roughly from the end of two thousand two. ...up to Donkey Kong Country Returns 2010... ...like the largest gulf of time we have in our mostly made-up eras... ...when it comes to the Donkey Kong universe. The buyout era uh, was the most uncertain. It was the most full of drama. And part of that was because I was uncertain and full of drama. And as one of the voices of DK Vine, I was controlling the narrative... ...at least when it comes to the Donkey Kong fandom... And I regret that now. But, um, you know, the buyout era, let me just say up front, the buyout era is not the same as the current one that we're in as far as how we should be feeling. Because the buyout era, for all the good things it provided us, and mostly that we recognize in retrospect, right? Jungle Mm -hmm. Beat turns out was a fantastic game and they meant no ill will towards, for example, Diddy Kong by his exclusion, um, and we we can look at Jungle Beat in a more positive light now. And but I I think a lot of the angst of the buyout era was justified because we didn't know we just didn't know it was uncharted territory. And you know, hindsight is is one thing. Like we can look back at history and say, oh, this is how we should have felt." But when you're living it, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And, and so it, it's kind of like coping. And, and we had never been there before. So I, I look back at the buyout era and I'm like, we should have been excited because we were getting so many Donkey Kong games. Jungle Beat was pretty fun. Uh, we were getting the Payon games, which were heavy on the fan service. Uh, diddy kong was in S- super smash brothers for the first time rare was releasing title after title grabbed by the ghoulies conquer live and reloaded viva pinata like the whole viva pinata series is kind of overlooked when it, we're talking about the buyout era but that was a huge thing and well like why why were we so pessimistic and it's because there was no forward momentum forward momentum coupled with the uncertainty of what direction does Nintendo really want to take Donkey Kong in? Because that was all over the map, too.
0: Mm-hmm. A- and, well, and, and, and I think it was also just like the comparison between where we had been in the year 2000. Right. I remember you talking before about how you, you, you looked back on your E3 2001 news coverage and just how strangely matter-of-fact it was about like, Well, we're getting a new Donkey Kong puzzle game, and Donkey Kong Racing has been announced. Because we'd gotten so, you guys had gotten so used to the to the status quo being every year we're gonna get some, we're gonna get some awesome new Donkey Kong games. Yeah, we're gonna get some awesome new DKU games. And to have that just cut off, and for the series to go in so many, uh, suddenly, sudden like go in so many different directions, none of them really feeling quite like, the main one. I think that was part always part of it, too. That... Yeah. Th- this is more relevant to Banjo, but I've always said, like, Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts would have had... S- would have been taken on its own merits if it had come out anywhere near approximate to a quote-unquote real Banjo-Kazooie game. Sure. Uh, and,
1: and, you know, Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts is an entire adventure. It's a, it's an entire game, but it's a hard sell. And mm-hmm. it's also called Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, which almost implies it's a spin-off. You know, it, like, were, were it called Banjo 3-E, I'm sure people would still be upset, but there would be, it would be a statement nonetheless, like, this mm-hmm. is Banjo 3-E. Love it or leave it. Uh, <laughs> these colors don't run. Yeah, but... <laughs> You know, I, I, I think it was just like, oh, we're not getting a real Banjo game. This mm-hmm. is it. Uh, I, I, I do have, you know, complaints about the way they rolled out Banjo Kazooie Nuts and Bolts and introduced it to the fan base. There was a lot of missteps there. Oh, but yeah. but again, uh, hindsight, you look back at Nuts and Bolts and you're like, that was a good game. That was That's a right. great game. Jungle Beat, that was a great game. Uh, but you can't kind of separate the time without bringing up that Mistran- translated IGN interview, right? Where where they sure. basically... It, they, they were made to look like they were shit-talking Donkey Kong Country and Rare's Creations when they weren't doing that at all. But we didn't speak a lick of Japanese. We didn't know. We took IGN at face value because they were the big gaming site.
0: And uh, nobody thought to check it. That's yeah. another big thing. Yeah, I like, mean... I've... And also, just everybody... You know, when I say everybody, I mean like the people who were in the fandom back then. Like you, like you said, if if you're the old man of the fandom, like how old were you in 2005? And you yeah. were you were even then the oldest person among us. So <laughs> right. how much how, how much younger was the general age of the Donkey Kong fandom, like in the buyout era? Yeah, I, I couldn't
1: even rent a car. I I think um, right. <laughs> <laughs> so. It, it it was still like. I look back at that time and I wince, but also it's understandable. But the point is I've been there, right? Mm -hmm. And so while I wish I had thought of the buyout era as this kind of extension of the golden years, it could never be that because you're right. It was a marked departure from where we were. And the uncertainty and the lack of direction Because Donkey Kong was all over the fucking map at that point You know, I, I, I've talked about this before uh, Which seems to be the mantra of this episode But we had Bongo games We had a Bongo platformer that had no reoccurring characters in it Aside from Donkey Kong and the banana, am I right people? <laughs> uh, you had the Payon games, which were peg swingers But very heavy on fan service Even like bringing back the bats from Donkey Kong 64 Which... Is is still the most incredible thing. And 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 you know, shoring up that the purple parrot is named Quox and and all of that. Uh you but you then you had Mario versus Donkey Kong and all of a sudden they're trying to cast Donkey Kong in this villainous light again, and it's like, what are you doing? What are you doing, Nintendo? You're all over the place. And that's not even getting into, you know, rare and every game release seeing it kind of flop on store shelves, and you're just feeling like, oh no, are they gonna shut down rare? What's gonna happen? Oh, oh Conquer Live and Reloaded didn't do very well. Conquer's not going to be the Xbox mascot. Oh, cross that one off our
0: wish list. (laughs) You know? And with hindsight, and I think this is very applicable to today, so much of that wasn't really the result. and, And I can only see this with hindsight. I can only see this with the perspective that I have on it now. But I think it's, like I said, I think this is applicable now, and I think it's something that people should be reminded of. A lot of the reasons that for example conquer live and reloaded flopped what didn't have any didn't really have a whole lot to do with rares decisions or microsoft's decisions or even the way that the donkey kong series was going and how it was being portrayed with nintendo's decisions it was more getting back to what we were saying earlier about the video game market just radically changing around the sixth generation yeah um platformer mascots were not the system sellers that they had been even just five years earlier. Yeah. it it and
1: And when you have lived that, when you were part of that world, you don't notice the world has changed around you until mm-hmm. one cold day you wake up and you don't recognize it anymore. <laughs> but, I mean, like, we talked about the sudden onset of change, right? But I think there were other realizations that were much slower to dawn upon us, and that was one of them, right? Like, mm-hmm. especially, okay, especially as a Nintendo fan, and growing up as a Nintendo fan, and, and only, like, viewing, like, the Genesis, and then later the PlayStation as these kind of remote things that friends of friends might have, but you have never really lived in that world, for from my perspective, but... um. And then Rare goes with this upstart Xbox. And then all of a sudden you're in that world too. You don't, you don't know how to get through. Like you just know the way things were with Nintendo. And I think that, I mean, that was a learning curve for everyone at Rare. Um, for sure. And it, it took. Up until like Xbox changing to be more like Nintendo for Rare to kind of meet them halfway and be a big success now on Xbox. But it took a while to get there. I mean, it, it just, anyway. I'm yeah. And like-
0: that's, that's one of the, that's one of the things I've always heard is that Rare spent copious amounts of time in the run up to the GameCube release learning that hardware, making, working on prototypes for that hardware. And so then, when the Microsoft, when you know they got sold to Microsoft, they had to spend the vast majority of that generation coming to terms with the Xbox hardware and stuff. And, and it's just a complete it was a completely different market too. and, yeah, and exactly. so when you
1: have something like Grab by the Ghoulies, uh, you know, basically almost in the can, um, what do you do with Grab by the Ghoulies? Uh, you know, Microsoft wanted them to, you know, broaden their appeal, get into the family market, but marketing Grab by the Ghoulies this is this cute family game. Didn't do very well either for sales or its reputation for the longest time. So
0: yeah, that and that was the status quo of that generation because it's it's why Rare was kind of a very strange, very tough fit for the Xbox, especially in that in that era because the PlayStation Two basically appealed to everybody except Sega fans. (laughs) Everything was on the PS2. Uh, The GameCube focused primarily on families and it still had the usual core Nintendo demographic that Nintendo consoles always have but it did very very well with families and the Xbox went for like the hardcore gamer crowd the 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 you know a little bit older <laughs> demographic mm. and uh, also made it made a lot of new converts to console gaming with Halo yeah so rare rare style of games had a i think had a difficult time sort of finding a place to live on the Xbox it,
1: indeed it did. Indeed it did. Much to DK Vine's dismay. Uh, and I bring up this history of the buyout era because I want to kind of give a, give us some perspective and grounding to, to look back at the last time the fandom was really pessimistic. And, and look, like even, even in the buyout era, we had a lot of good things we didn't realize. But the core underlying reason of why we were feeling so downbeat in the buyout era does not apply to 2021. So let's go on this journey together, Josh and everyone listening. <laughs> there, there are so many dots to connect about what's happening with Donkey Kong and even the broader Donkey Kong universe. And we're going to hit upon them all. Tie it all together, and hopefully, coming out of this episode, you're going to see,
0: oh my god,
1: like, yeah, Nintendo didn't tweet about Donkey Kong's 40th anniversary, but oh my god, so much, so much good is happening behind the scenes, and and we're about to experience what I call the decade of Donkey Kong, and as somebody who lived through the last decade of Donkey Kong, 1994 through 1999. I don't throw around such uh, terms willy-nilly. This isn't hyperbole. I really do believe we are about to enter a new golden age of Donkey Kong games. So first of all, let's talk about the news that the conversation has not talked about yet. And that is the official announcement of the Donkey Kong Country expansion to Super Nintendo World. So literally this episode... Uh, went live the very day they announced this. Uh the last episode of the conversation went live the very day they announced this. And I was like, shit. I, I hate when that happens when a big, like era defining story breaks and you've already got your last episode in the can.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't you know, we've known we've known for a fact that this was happening for God literally years at this point, haven't we? Since 2017, the thing <laughs> is, Josh. I mean, well,
1: 2017, it was like, oh, they they might be doing this. Like, you look at like their plans, and there's maybe like a Yoshi Park and and uh, a Zelda Park. Maybe I forget the actual ones. But when it when it's all broken down, the sole survivors were Mario and Donkey Kong, and uh, we, we knew for certain this was this was happening. I think um, since maybe 2018, 2019,
0: but. It's well, we we also knew since last year when Super, when Super Nintendo World was actually unveil, unveiled, like, and you could actually go there, and it was very, very clear to see that, what are they working on over there? Yeah, there
1: was a whole chunk of the park that mysteriously matched the shape of the diagram that had leaked. Right. um <laughs> The thing is, though, like we, we've like known about the story on DK Vine for four years, more than four years. It's an old Man, story. Crazy. But you look at mainstream coverage and they're treating it like it it's, it's a new thing with something nobody knew about. Because um, when, when Nintendo released this, when Universal actually released this press release this week. And of course, it, it was Universal Japan, so they released it in the dead of night. Like in, in the early AM hours here on the East Coast and I was in bed. I was asleep like a responsible adult. And so I wake up and I get comments on Twitter. I thought DK Vine would have had this first. And I'm like, Well what do you what do you want? <laughs> me to stay up all night like a like a meth addict waiting for Donkey Kong news to break? I'm not I'm not gonna
0: do that. I'm gonna take care of my health so I can do these podcasts. <laughs> I know what you mean. I got somebody very nicely wishing me well a while back and was like, you know, best of luck to you and your team. <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm literally, I'm yeah. one guy and, and like my beta reader who is, <laughs> who is an indispensable, but like I don't consider myself to have a team. Yeah. I, I, I've,
1: I've got a staff that's, that's a volunteer basis staff who will, you know, pitch in with news stories and they'll, you know, They'll stream every now and then and but you know, they don't get paid. They're doing it just because they like to do it. Uh like most responsibilities fall on me. Um and I, you know, because that's the way it should be if I'm not paying them and I, I don't have a team and I all I'm also working, you know, side jobs to make ends meet, and I'm broken on the inside, Josh. I don't know if you can feel. I don't know if you can reach inside of my chest, but but the parts aren't whole anymore. Um, I'm frayed at both ends. <laughs> I'm gonna break any day now. Um, so well, anyway, I mean
0: then I'll I'll host the conversation for you. That's <laughs> fine. I got I got this.
1: <laughs> I've never missed an episode, Josh. I refuse to break my streak. Uh I'm like Goldberg in the nineties, my streak. Uh I'm gonna uh, be but... I'm gonna be Jerry <laughs> Flynn ten times.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but one of these days. Scott Hall is going to, come, going to come up to you, dressed like a security guard, wearing that yellow shirt, holding a cattle prod. And, and that uh, would be yeah. a great
1: episode of the conversation. I look forward to that. <laughs> You welcome it at this point. <laughs> no, but, but anyway, it was, it was announced in the dead of night. And just it struck me as funny because, you know, we knew this was coming. I mentioned it on the last episode of The Conversation. I thought Miyamoto, when he came out on the Direct, was going to officially make this announcement.
0: That and was made... my first thought, too, and that made what he actually announced even even more of a mindfuck.
1: Yeah, which makes me wonder if maybe Wires got crossed and they were going to bring this up on the Direct, and why did it come just a couple days later? Uh I don't know. Um But anyway, when you're dealing with another large corporation like Universal, I'm sure there's a lot of considerations that have to be made, but... Yeah, um they they announced this and all of a sudden the the mainstream sites were like treating it like this is the first time they've ever heard of it and I'm just like, yo, like I'm uh, DK Vine, I know doesn't have uh, credibility in mainstream <laughs> eyes, but I've labeled everything on this diorama. Have you seen that? Have you seen that? <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's just, it is funny how things can fall through the cracks. I always think about, like, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, when that came out on the Switch, and articles were talking about it, like, like it was just this brand new Mario Kart game, yep. because so yep. few people had a Wii U that it functionally was.
1: yeah. And I'm 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 sounding bitter and like conceited, like I want credit for because I wasn't the one who first broke the story. Theme park uh, websites leaked a lot of this stuff. I just you know shorted up for Donkey Kong fans. I mean that's mm-hmm. what I do.
0: Uh, but and anyway, the, the theme park was announced, and I want to. I mean, re- I think honestly, uh, like if it makes you feel better, part of that is because like like we said earlier in the episode, you don't clickbait things. You don't you don't come out here and like. You know, you, 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 you joke about making dioramas, but you don't like make memes like meant to trend on social media about, about the things that you know or about the things that, that you've heard. Yeah. And just saying things in a podcast or, are you know, putting them in text form on Twitter, like that doesn't have the reach that like something more visual does, I guess. Yeah, and and of course,
1: like the proximity of this announcement with the most recent announcement, like all the comments on on all the like uh, news sites were like, "Well, Seth Rogen's getting his own theme park." <laughs> I'm so clever. Well, Of course. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to read to you an excerpt from the press release, though, because this is uh, th- this is translated. This is roughly translated. So forgive me if. Uh, there, there's any impressions that we walk away from that Universal hates Diddy Kong, that he wasn't <laughs> fresh enough for this theme park. Hopefully, right. I, we've avoided any faux pas like that. All right. Since its opening, the first phase of Mario's World has been visited and experienced by many guests and has received a great deal of feedback. We have decided to expand, as if they just decided this. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. We have decided to expand the new area with the aim of further increasing satisfaction with Super Nintendo World and revitalizing the leisure and entertainment industry. In the new area where Donkey Kong and his friends live in the lush jungle, you can enjoy the world of Donkey Kong with your whole body. (laughs)
0: Yes! Oh, I love this. Unironically, I'm not making fun of it. I'm not saying it's bad. It reminds me of, like, playing Final Fantasy VII on the PlayStation. It has that distinctly, like, hastily translated from Japanese quality to it, and I love that.
1: With your whole body, through theme park experiences, such as eating and drinking
0: and selling. What? (laughs) Like... Like Goldberg selling the cattle prod, <laughs> and
1: innovative coaster type ride attractions. So, pulling it all together, we we know uh, the selling is obviously in reference to Funky's flying by, uh, which uh, is going to be replicated uh, at, from the diorama. And the interesting thing is they released a very low res promotional image of Mario and Donkey Kong side-by-side in their respective halves of the park underneath them, Uh, which is really cool and gratifying for me, the the Donkey Kong fan who always thinks Donkey Kong should be on par with or surpassing Mario. (laughs) Surpassing, yes. Uh, Don't, one day, man, one day we'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm the type of person who'll see Star Wars shit and be like, should be Mr. Pants. I'm just saying, <laughs> one day we're gonna get to the point where Mr. Pants is as well known as Darth Vader. That will be a happy day. I I have to dream. I have, I have to work towards something, right? Um, so anyway, r- really cool image. But if you line up the little low res image of the what the theme parks of what what the Don Kong country side of the theme park is going to look like with the diorama it all pretty much lines up accurately some things have been altered probably for like just functionality purpose like you don't see a waterfall coming down the outside of minecart madness or whatever the the um, minecart roller coaster is going to be called but um yeah, I see, I see people like already freaking out that, oh, I can't make out Ellie, Ellie the elephant as an animatronic or Rambi, who, who we saw in the diorama. I don't think there's anything to be gleaned from that. I think there will still be animatronics in there. Whether they reference an obscure animal buddy from Donkey Kong Country 3 and Donkey Kong Land 3, I don't know, but, uh, keep the faith. You know, um, uh, th- this, this is the biggest thing to happen to Donkey Kong since Donkey Kong Country. Josh, wow. this is huge. This is um I don't think the magnitude has really set in with the fandom yet, uh, because it's not a new game and because the new game hasn't been announced yet. I I, I can't begin to express how this is something I never thought we would see. How, if you're going to have a Super Nintendo World, as much as we, the Donkey Kong fans, would say, like, oh, it would be so cool if the Congo jungle was a section. It does lend itself well to kind of the, the kinetic atmosphere of a theme park, right? There's always been jungle sections of theme parks. You you know, uh, you can translate a minecart cart uh, level as a roller coaster fairly well. But you see it in the comments for Super Nintendo World outside of the Seth Rogen jokes. People are like, unironically, should have been Metroid. Or uh, why didn't you do Hyrule Land? That's oh, what right. I want to see, Hyrule Land. And um it it is so meaningful as a Donkey Kong fan that we somehow tricked the executives at Universal Studios into allowing this to happen <laughs> side by side with Mario. I mean
0: Yeah, we <laughs> We we forced them to do it. That's <sighs> right.
1: We won the ballot when they sent out the, the the ballot. We we just mobilized more, and that's how we got it in. Just like K rule. Uh,
0: <laughs> Ray Ray J pinball in the stream chat says, "High Roll Land is not to be confused with Hyoland. No, this I mean, is Hyoland. Land. Like, I feel like the Donkey Kong Land basically yeah. is 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 about what Hyoland Land would be. Yeah, you you just need
1: more Mister Pants in there, and it's a done deal.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know that's. But but you are you are one hundred percent right. I was. What I was p- mentally preparing for as you were, as you were saying, this is the biggest deal, to ha- the biggest thing to happen to Donkey Kong since, was that you were gonna say Donkey Kong Country Returns. And I was gonna agree and be like, yeah, and maybe it's a bigger deal than that. But as soon as you instead threw me a curveball and said Donkey Kong Country, I was like, god damn, he's right. Yeah, he's I mean,
1: absolutely hundred percent right. Donkey Kong Country Returns was a big deal, obviously, since the park is based mostly on the aesthetic of Donkey Kong Country Returns. Right, it's a big Which deal. But, but Donkey Kong Country Returns was a game that did very well on the Wii. It got a sequel that didn't do so well in the Wii U, Um and essentially, then because of the fan backlash. the the metroid fan backlash um, among many other factors essentially forced retro to change tracks and not make any more donkey kong games now i'm not saying that they would have made a third donkey kong game if the reception was you know unanimous like oh yes another donkey kong game from retro party in the usa had
0: somehow saved the wii u
1: yeah i like I think retros would have always gone for a new IP because they were ready to do something different. And I would never want a creator to be forced to stagnate. That's why I don't hold any ill will towards somebody like Greg Males for not wanting to do another Banjo-Kazooie game. Uh, because if he has all he has to say about Banjo-Kazooie, like, I, I I want Banjo-Kazooie to continue. I want somebody else to take the reins. But, you know, it, it's I don't want a creator chained to their desk. Making the same series if they want to expand their creative muscles. If they have creative muscles to stretch, then by all means, you know. And so I can't begrudge retro for moving on after tropical freeze, but returns was as, as important as it was, as I mean, it brought back DK Vine from the abyss, right? I wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for Donkey on Country returns. Uh, I, I say all that, but it seems like it was a narrative dead end. The retro games were. Which is weird to say. Because they they defined Donkey Kong up through the present day. Right. But we're not getting any more. At least not in the foreseeable future. So. Donkey Kong has to move on. It just has to. Or else we're just not going to get games. <laughs> so. That's partially why EPD. Has reportedly just taken it in. And, and being like you know. If Donkey Kong is going to be a pillar of Nintendo. It's got to actually have a stable. Home environment and it hasn't Had that since rare so Let's make it so I mean I mean that's That's essentially Miyamoto taking Charge of his baby Um, And and it's just it just Is what it is I wish retro was A little bit bigger I wish they could handle Two games at once I, I you know It would be great if that could have been Their permanent home it's just not In the cards so yeah This is a much bigger deal than anything We've seen since 1994 because this is going to bring Donkey Kong to the masses in a way that hasn't been seen since Rare did it on the Super Nintendo.
0: And that is, I believe we talk, we we probably talk, discussed this last time, when you say the retro game, the retro studios games were, were a narrative, how did you put it, like a narrative dead end? Yeah, that, that's I, harsh. That's hard. I, I realize how harsh that sounds. I worry that that might come across like you're saying that they that they couldn't have been followed up on or that the way I take that. And I think what you mean by that is that as much as we loved them and as much as there's the, as there are people who, who now grew up with them or who are nostalgic for them, they didn't, those, those games more like you can see in retrospect were very much made for us. For the existing Donkey Kong fans. Yes and no. Uh,
1: I, I would say they were made for a new audience to fall in love with Donkey Kong Country. Um, but the there, there was a shocking lack of fan service among them. Sure, for, more on true, that, yeah. for more on that, see, listen to the episode Jeff and I did right before E3 where we talked about the importance of characters. Uh, where, where Jeff famously went on this rant about how if you... Don't put and guard the swordfish in your Donkey Kong
0: game. You have failed. Um. <laughs> well, let me put it like this then. Maybe okay. not for us, but the the way that the Donkey Kong Country Returns games, Returns and Tropical Freeze, were positioned seemed to be... If New Super Mario Brothers is the 2D platformer for the whole family, yeah. Donkey Kong Country then is the 2D platformer for the hardcore gamer.
1: Super New Super Mario Bros. is platforming 101. Uh, mm-hmm. Donkey Kong Country Returns is sort of graduate
0: level studies in platforming. <laughs> yes, pretty much. And I remember several years, like uh, four years ago now, when I was working on uh, the episode, my my episode for Donkey Kong Country Returns, I struck up a conversation with uh, with a dad <laughs> in in like a game store and he and uh, somehow the, t- the topic of DKC Returns came up, he said he had a young son, and he'd gotten him Donkey Kong Country Returns. It was Returns are Tropical yeah. Trees. I can't remember which one. He I remember this story. He got it for his kid, and his kid, like, didn't make it past the first world. Yeah. And I have nothing but great things to say about the Retro Studios games, but when you talk about Donkey Kong being, like, a pillar of Nintendo that can that can appeal and and I'm not saying that a game has to be easy or has to like I'm not saying that only easy games can appeal to the masses because for example the opening couple of hours of the, of the legend of zelda breath of the wild are relatively pretty challenging i like you know you you'll inevitably get a lot of game overs and that game was huge uh-huh. but i think The old school difficulty, like the, the returns games are in many ways more challenging than the, than the Super Nintendo originals.
1: Oh, for sure. For sure. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I think retro took that lesson to heart when they were like trying to break down the original Donkey Kong Country games. They were like, Hey, Mm -hmm. these are pretty hard. What if that was the hook? And, right. and I, I love that they did that. And, and I, I love returns. Like, there's this notion in the fandom now that returns is somehow the bad one? Or, or like, like the, the one that's not as good? Uh, just because Tropical Freeze did did everything so much better. Sure. Uh, I, but Returns is great, too. Re- Returns, I will like, even make the argument that it is a better game than
0: the original Donkey Kong Country in every way. Uh, and I think the character, even in comparison you know. to Tropical Freeze, sorry to interrupt you, but even in comparison to Tropical Freeze, there are things that I like about Returns. There are strengths that it has, and I think one of the biggest ones is just like the levels are are a little bit more bite-sized and a little bit more self-contained, mm-hmm. which makes them a lot more replayable to me.
1: Yeah, and it's it's great fun. You know, somebody asked me on Twitter uh, the the other month, like, hey, I have a choice between Donkey Kong Country Returns and Donkey Kong Country Returns 3D. What's the better game? And I you was know, like... Ultimately, it just depends what you're looking for. I think they're both equally valid experiences. I will find with Returns 3D, frame rate issues aside, it's much more fun to just kick back wherever you are with your 3DS and and experience those levels. There is something... very comforting about like just hopping into a level and, and playing it on your 3ds. And mm-hmm. you can really, I think appreciate, especially with the 3d effects of the 3ds. Uh, you can really appreciate just the, the level of depth in, in the environments retro created frame rate issues aside. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I say narrative dead and that sounds way harsher than I intended. Um, I, I mostly just mean that we got two games from it. And, sure. and 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 uh, two ports and a lot of references in Mario games, but uh, we like there, again momentum. There was no momentum coming out of that mm-hmm. because retro, the way they are are formed as a studio, the way they're structured, uh, we could never have the momentum of what Rare did back in the day or what E.P.D. could do for Donkey Kong in the future. So retro it,
0: didn't even have any barns. <laughs> right, uh,
1: I'm sure there's plenty of barns in Texas. They just didn't look. <laughs> and obviously, like the 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 new direction of Donkey Kong is going to be rooted in what Rare did, but also what Retro did. Like like the fact that the theme park is modeled after Retro is is mostly virtue of when the theme park was conceived, right? Because uh, because the theme park was conceived sometime after Tropical Freeze. Um, right around the time that this uh, other studio was doing the next Donkey Kong game, until they weren't. And uh so, I mean, obviously they were going to go with what they had, the most recent kind of interpretation of Donkey Kong's world. And I think by virtue of this being in the theme park then, this will influence EPD going forward. So Retro has left their mark. I don't want anybody to think otherwise, um, this this will definitely be part of the look and feel of Donkey Kong forever now. Um, but just like Mario can change and evolve from game to game, while you still have those iconic elements cropping up, I think it'll be the same with Donkey Kong. So, um, and and if you are a fan of Donkey Kong Country Returns, well, I've got great news for you. There's going to be a theme park that's mostly based on it. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. And I and I guess my point is. While you do see just like you really for Tropical Freeze especially now that the it doesn't have the should have been Metroid like uh oh. ephemera surrounding surrounding its discourse, didn't you really didn't see you, more love for that than you ever did before.
1: Didn't you hear though? I mean, now it's the theme park that's getting should have been Metroid.
0: So <laughs> that's true, yeah. But uh. I do think it's, consp- it's 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 telling, I guess. That I don't feel like I see nearly the sort of formative I grew up with this kind of nostalgia for DKC Returns. Now that you that you that we did really start seeing for Donkey Kong Country, the original trilogy in like the mid two thousands. You're right,
1: uh, and Donkey Kong Country also had that longevity because it had the Game Boy Advance games, which mm-hmm. so many people mm-hmm. in our community that was their gateway. The Donkey Kong Country for Game Boy Advance trilogy uh, introduced them to the games. And that's, I mean, as I've said before, that is what basically taught Nintendo this is the direction for Donkey Kong. This is what Donkey Kong needs to be because this is what's selling well. Every time we roll out Donkey Kong Country... Uh, it, it surpasses the sales of any other interpretation of Donkey Kong. If Donkey That's- Kong's going to be a franchise, it's got to be. And I know it's not called that in Japan, but you know what I mean, right? Sure. Like,
0: um, so yeah, those, those, like, man, Nintendo fandom, not just Donkey Kong fandom, Nintendo fandom in the two thousands was just so relentlessly cynical, and just one of the things that they just <laughs> that they, that, I mean, it's one of those hindsight is twenty twenty things. They just didn't, like, understand how incredibly important this stuff was going to be. Yeah. Or how, like, the next generation was going to see it.
1: Yeah, and and to your point, like Donkey Kong Country Returns doesn't have the the cultural footprint that the country games had. It's because they were so hard. You're right. You're absolutely right. It was because they they scared off a uh, little Timmy. a Little Timmy fell down in a well because he ran away from Donkey Kong Country Returns. <laughs> and uh, it's a Lassie reference for you boomers. If you boomers are <laughs> listening, I know you boomers love Lassie. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We're talking about generations, and I felt like I needed to throw the boomers a bone, uh, <laughs> because again, then Lassie can eat the
0: bone. It's a win-win. It's a win-win, Josh. They aired—I believe they aired Lassie on extremely early in the morning on Nickelodeon when I was very young. I remember that. And I was like, you can't play anything else. Like, <laughs> I, was, I was always affra- I was always confusing Lassie with
1: Old Yeller, and I was just waiting for the episode where they had to put Lassie my God. down. Because <laughs> I had it in my head that Lassie died at some point, right? That would have been even more traumatic than David the Gnome's ending. Oh, don't tell me! Don't don't oh, spoil God. it for me. Uh, anyway, so my my point is that if you are a Donkey Kong Country Returns fan, you don't have to worry like that. That aspect of the series is going to be taken care of. But I think they need to find a happy medium, right? Like doing Donkey Kong as like the most challenging game on a Nintendo console, or the most challenging platform on a Nintendo console, didn't really make the new hardcore crowd that the the rare games did, and 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 I think Nintendo EPD is is going to make a game that's easier <laughs> than, than retro's really? games, but I. It, nonetheless nuanced and full of surprises. But yeah, th- this theme park is what's going to make new Donkey Kong fans because they're going to go to this. They're going to, they're going to fall in love with the minecart ride, right? And then that's going to, inf- they're going to get into the games from this. I mean, this is what happens. This is the kind of like cultural permutation we've always wanted. And this is just going about it in a kind of a reverse way where we're getting the theme park, uh, before we're getting the thing that inspires it, so all those people that say like, and I know we we got what inspires it, but it it the theme park is going to be a bigger deal than the thing that inspires it. Is what I'm trying to say. Like Harry Potter Land, it, it, wherever that you know you know what I'm talking about the 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 Wizarding World, whatever. Uh, that theme park attraction that was based on the runaway success of Harry Potter and the books and the movies and everything. Uh, S- Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, same thing we're getting this after a relatively fallow 20 years where Donkey Kong has never reached the highs it's reached in the nineties. And this is all based on Miyamoto and Nintendo really having grand designs for Donkey Kong. Otherwise this wouldn't be a thing if they were just like, all right, let's just let this series die. We'll do a game every now and then when somebody has a great idea for Donkey Kong. Um, If that was the case, we would not be seeing this. This would be Hyrule Land, right? There, there have been so many Nintendo instances of them taking mine carts from Donkey Kong and applying it to something else. This would have been Kirby, right? Like if, if they were concerned about this, this is what they're going to be pushing because they're going to be pushing Donkey
0: Kong. And it's, it's, it's interesting too, because like there are Kirby cafes in Japan. Kirby has, a uh, quite a cultural footprint in, yeah. in, in Japan and man like ever since it was ever since we first saw these concepts and especially ever since it was confirmed that they really are following through with it because you know it was kind of touch and go it's like man that would be incredible but are they actually going to do it and now we know they're actually doing it and ever since then it's just been impossible for me to be like overtly cynical about the future of the series because there's no way that they're going to it it just goes to show like The reason Donkey Kong is getting this, and Metroid isn't, and Zelda isn't, is still because Donkey Kong has that, like... (sighs) Donkey Kong is a known entity that resonates outside of just, like, diehard Nintendo fandom, or even diehard gamer fandom, in a way that most of Nintendo's other IPs aren't.
1: And you you say Donkey Kong to anybody of any age, they will probably know what you're referring to.
0: Exactly, and that's not the same. That's not the case for something. If I ask somebody, "Hey, what do you think of Samus? What do you think of Tingle?" You know, mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Uh, and
1: you know that that this is based off Donkey Kong Country. Ray Day in the chat asked, "What's it called in Japan? Super Donkey Kong." Mm-hmm. It's what it's called. And then and then they've just kind of gotten away from that and it's just Donkey Kong blank. Um, but it's it's never country. The country branding, I think they're gonna go with the country branding here in uh Orlando uh sure. and, and Hollywood if it comes there. But um but by the way, uh the estimated ETA I said estimated estimated time of arrival. I realize I just said that. Uh ATM the machine. ETA is coming uh in Osaka. 2024. That's how long it's going to take to build this. It's under construction now, and we were all thinking, oh, it's under construction now. It'll be ready by, like, next summer. No. 2024. It's going to take a while to get the Congo jungle. Mwah! Just great. And at the rate we're tearing down the rainforest, Josh, uh, it, it apparently takes even longer to build it back up.
0: <laughs> so- <That's- laughs> An inconvenient truth. Yes, (laughs) yeah. It is what it is, right? I hope Uh, this
1: really, uh, this really, you know, counter counter counteracts us us tearing down the Amazon. Like, oh, we've we've torn down a larger chunk of the Amazon, but at least we have the Congo jungle in Osaka or in Orlando. Uh,
0: (laughs) But but we have a funky Kong animatronic, so you know it's okay. (laughs) Uh, Trade off. It's worth it.
1: 2024 in Osaka, in Orlando, it's apparently coming the year after that, 2025. But that is based on Donkey Kong Country, Super Donkey Kong. Uh, that it does the Congo Jungle. You know, I said when when we were talking about the EPD rumors that Donkey Kong Country has won. Like Donkey Kong Country is the foundation of what Donkey Kong is going forward, and. This proves it. This isn't the great girder grapple or, or like, um, remember that, uh, the Wii game when the Wii was new? You had like the, the Nintendo Park game. What was that called? Um,
0: Nintendo Land, the Wii. U. Nintendo
1: Land, right. Yeah. And, uh, the Donkey Kong section of that was arcade themed and we at DK Vine, we lost our shit. We were just like, how, how dare they? Rah, 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 rah.
0: I love Nintendo Land. I still love Nintendo Land. That was a great game.
1: But the real Nintendo Land. Yeah. <laughs> look look what the real Nintendo Land has provided us. And so in 10 years from now, uh, after the do- decade of Donkey Kong, people aren't going to be saying should have been Metroid. They, they're going to be advocating for Donkey Kong and other things where Donkey Kong is not applicable, right? Um, <laughs> this is going to make Donkey Kong fans. Even if you – I've seen so many comments too, like I don't ride roller coasters – I guy of motion sickness. Oh, I'm never going to go to Japan. Oh, oh Florida's never going to get COVID under control. I'm not going to go there. Um, even if you will never visit this park, you have to recognize what a big deal this is and the ramifications it's going to have for a fandom. It's going to be a perpetual uh, energy boost to Donkey Kong brand and IP And that's only going to mean good things for games going forward. If that's all you're in this for is games, this is a good, good thing. Mm -hmm. So,
0: And that's that's sort of why I bring up Kirby. One reason that I bring up Kirby, because like I said, Kirby gets cafes. Kirby has like, you can... I've I've gone on Google Earth before, and I've just like gone to like these places where there's these giant Kirby statues. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It just... Like, part of the reason Kirby is just so consistently taken care of by Nintendo. Yeah. And and always has been. And I think, like you said, it's not just like, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to Japan. I'm not going to ride a roller coaster. But it's the confidence in the brand and what that says about how it will be positioned. That regardless of whether the, a theme park excites you or not. The fact that they're putting it on the same level as Mario, Mm -hmm. as the second park opening in Super Nintendo World, is just... It can mean nothing but good things for us.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, that Kirby comparison is an apt one, because... We've always said at DK Vine, we just wish we were at Kirby's level where we're consistently taken care of, where we don't have anything to really worry about because our games won't necessarily set the world on fire, maybe, but we know there will always be another game. Um, just, just kind of slightly under the radar where they're positioning Donkey Kong is above Kirby, honestly. Yep. Uh, that, that's where they have designs to take it. Whether it reaches that or not, I don't know, but. Having this, this theme park, will go a long way towards making generations of Donkey Kong fans.
0: So, Relatedly, I know you guys talked about this last week, but uh, I haven't really gotten to say much about it. (laughs) Because I think that's sort of the same sort of line of thinking is why my reaction to what Miyamoto actually said in the Nintendo Direct was... Very different from how most people reacted. Like, yeah, I thought it was bonkers and ridiculous and funny, but I couldn't possibly be down on the news that Donkey Kong and Cranky Kong were going to be in a, in a movie together.
1: Yeah. And just uh, the... the <laughs> so, so, if, if this, this is some people's first conversation. So, instead of just... I, I want them to go back and listen to last week's episode, but I want to actually read the quote okay. from Miyamoto. I've got it right here. Even though this is a Mario movie, Donkey Kong will also be making an appearance. That distinction right there uh, is oh, so yeah, vitally important. Yeah, that 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 shows you where Miyamoto's headspace is. That is where DK Vine has reported Miyamoto's headspace has been uh, for for a while now. Uh, but I mean, Miyamoto has been Donkey Kong's greatest champion behind the scenes. Miyamoto is a large reason why all of this is happening. And and I think we have to give give him his due. I mean, he was the boogeyman for DK Vine for the longest time because we associated his decisions with everything that went wrong. He he was obviously <laughs> the creator of Donkey Kong, so he hated what Rare did with it. Oh, sure. oh. And it turns out, you know, the quotes that have been attributed to him have have mostly been debunked. And while I have no doubt that there was animosity towards Yoshi's Island's direction and and Nintendo feeling uncomfortable with it, in light of Donkey Kong Country, uh, he's not a spiteful man, Miyamoto. He doesn't seem to be spiteful. And the fact that he loves Cranky Kong, he loves that Rare took his creation, his original creation, and made him a bitter old man. (laughs) The The fact that he finds that delightful has like really made me reevaluate what I understood about Miyamoto and it's like he he gets it. He he gets the joke. Um whether like whether or not I will always agree with Miyamoto cuz Miyamoto's all you know he he has fundamentally different philosophies than I have when it comes to gaming, but that's fine. That that's great because I think at his heart um Miyamoto always has the series best interest right there. Uh, and so I, I can't begrudge him for that. Like, yeah, I, I'll make fun of him wanting Donkey Kong to blow on things in Returns. <laughs> but oh well, like, it, it didn't break the game. It 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 was silly, and, and it, a time waster, slowed everything down, and, and retro-junked it in Tropical Freeze. But that's that's no reason to be angry.
0: And I think <laughs> it takes a balance, too, because, you know, you say some of Miyamoto's philosophies are Sometimes counter to what to what you want out of a game, I feel like his philosophies are very like in line with what I with at least the primary stuff that I can really want out of a game. And I think having a voice, uh, that basically just having a game that that focuses on those attributes, not not necessarily to the exclusion of everything else, but who will who will kind of say, you know we need to we need to think about how this impacts gameplay. We need to we need to think of like an interesting mechanic here, not necessarily meaning we need to remove all lore and story and just have everything happen <laughs> and and like characters, just put it all in a menu. But, but yeah, like I said, I just I think it takes a balance and I think there's a reason that Miyamoto was able to create the the franchises, the mini franchises that he has. Right, and he
1: he reminds me of you know uh, comic creators of yore like Stan Lee, Jack Kirby. You know where like they they come up with the basis of so many bases of characters, and then later writers come along and really flesh them out later and and add all the you know accumulated lore. Uh, yeah, and over and that's the years. and
0: that's natural. That's that's what kind of has to happen with a long running series. I think I get on this about like. Some of the things that Sonic, the Sonic fandom says lately about original author intent and what, what Yuji Naka wanted Sonic to be. And like, Mm -hmm. like things like long running franchises are inevitably going to change over time. There is like, well, I guess another example of that. One of my, one of the things I regret about my own DKC Returns episode was going, was being so hard on Donkey Kong punching the moon. I think I came across very cynically about that no. in retrospect. No, you're right about
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> Still not over that one, Josh. Give it another 10 years or so. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's basically, you know, w- when you look at some, uh, you know, the, the intent of the author is kind of a silly notion to, to have, especially when DK Vine. Uh, is is factoring in like well is is, who's the author miyamoto the stampers greg males uh you know like like where where do you draw the line there um and then like go ahead and and then like when the authors disagree when rare builds up a shared universe but chris sievers like well it's not my intention that conquer is part of the shared universe it's like well too late now you know that train (laughs) has left the station uh so it's like I, I see all these like word of gods being thrown back in DK Vine's face. Well, actually Greg Mail says this about banjo existing with Donkey Kong's world. I was like, great. Rare's website from 1997 says this.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, like it's all fiction anyway. Right. And, and what and I, so- what I was going to say is just, I've really come to appreciate the nuance in like analyzing something through the lens of itself. Right, like taking Donkey Kong Country Returns for example, and Uh comparing it directly, like how it stacks up compared to the original trilogy, is a perfectly valid way of looking at it. It's not like it's not wrong to do that, but it's but it's equally not wrong to to like examine how it stands on its own merits. Yeah, yeah, and I both both lenses are totally valid and totally valuable, and and make make for some interesting insight. Yeah. And I think especially diehard fandoms tend to get too into only analyzing things through the fandom lens, like through the lens of their fandom and through the lens of like what they, like their expectations for what the series is, is supposed to be based on what it was whenever they discovered it most of the time. Yeah. That like, yeah, you know, you know what I'm saying, right?
1: I do. I do. And I, I'm thinking like, um, you look you look at star wars as oh like, i see i
0: i was thinking it but i didn't know if i wanted to go there
1: <laughs> we we won't go down that well because that's a deep dark nasty well yes. to go down but i think uh, star wars is like the ultimate example of this right mm-hmm. a- and it, it's basically my go-to example of what not to be as as a fan um and and you just look at the the the, like, the pettiness and the wars and the the sniping and the And and I'm, I mean, this has been going on in Star Wars fandom for longer than the Disney sequels, right? But, and
0: and very similarly, we've seen it happen exactly the same way with two generations of Star Wars fans now.
1: And that's, (laughs) that's exactly it. That's, it's, it's all generational. There will be fans in, in 20 years time defending the sequels and and holding them up, just like there are prequel fans now doing the same.
0: And it's so, it's, it's so weird to see. Cause I've never been a, I've never been a Star Wars fan. I have no stake in it, but I see and I hear things people, I see people now saying sometimes word for word the exact same things about comparing the, 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 the sequel trilogy to the prequel trilogy that 15 years ago I saw people say, saying about the prequel trilogy compared to the original trilogy. And it's just like they don't. Because how can they? They don't. They don't have like. They weren't there. They don't have like the perspective on it. But like, they don't generally like seem to know that this is all. This is we've we've been through this before.
1: Now that's Battlestar Galactica. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah, I it it exhausts me to th- even think about Star Wars fandom. Honestly, <laughs> like, and, and so I'm I'm just gonna keep with. Where I am a, a master, right? <laughs> so, right, so yeah. The, the, <laughs> speaking of movies, though, um, we, we essentially soft confirmed on the last episode that it is the plan, it is Illumination's plan, and Nintendo's plan, and Miyamoto's plan to kind of spin off a Donkey Kong movie from Donkey Kong and Cranky's appearance in this Mario movie. And, and so if you can't connect the dots yet here, if you're still pessimistic because they haven't announced the game yet, Josh, we've got a movie, a yeah. big budget Hollywood movie, CGI with, with A-listers voicing our beloved characters. And I want to pick your brain on this because this is a topic you're, you're, you're well versed in, uh, by this point with your own hyper fandom. Uh but we've got that. And we've got the theme park. You of course. Of course there's a the game
0: coming. <laughs> yeah. Like they're like Nintendo is still primarily a game company. It's it's not like they're not gonna You'd have to be you'd have to be really poorly managed, right? to come out with this big blockbuster movie and not have a game come out at least somewhat proximate to it, right?
1: Before I would imagine. Um but yeah, <laughs> like like at at this point do you even need our sources to tell you what's happening? It should be transparent. And and look, if Donkey Kong has this level of high stature. This is this is the stature that's usually only reserved for games being developed by Nintendo EPD, right? Mm-hmm. Um uh, aside from like Pokemon, which is its own kind of almost divorced entity at this point, um, with, with, with you know, the, the Pokemon company and, and just it just
0: and Game Freak, and yeah, that's yeah.
1: <laughs> it, it. It's basically almost like a whole other branch of the mm-hmm. Nintendo Hydra. But Donkey Kong, even when he was with Rare, never got this kind of level uh, of like stature. That he's getting now, and, and like having Seth Rogen and Fred Armisen, and 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 like saying in a big budget Mario movie that the original Donkey Kong is now Cranky Kong. Mm-hmm. Think about that. <laughs> like, it's they never even said that on the Donkey Kong Country cartoon. That never even came up, that there was an original Donkey Kong and he was Cranky Kong. Like the episode where he like reverts back to his youth, but it's not like they made any references to Donkey Kong Arcade with that. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, They're shoring up DKU canon that we've been told by Nintendo zealots for years no longer applies. They are confirming it in, in Hollywood movies now. This is where we are as a fandom. take stock of that,
0: <laughs> yeah, and like uh, what it sounds to me like is that perhaps cranky and cranky and d k are going to factor into like mario's origin story if if they're going to talk about that in the movie, that was sort of my first thought. My second thought was just the way that they were describing it, like you said, it seems like they might be positioning this as like a potential spin off that i mean that that's the plan that mm-hmm. that from what I hear, this is the plan now it you know
1: things can go awry as they often do in Hollywood and you know you, you can plan out your shared universe in movies but things will fall apart because nobody can be the MCU but Marvel um, but you know as terrifying as it is that they're going to get stuff wrong and they will I mean I mean that's just the nature of the beast but as terrifying as that is it's so cool to just think about I would have never thought this in my in my wildest daydreams. I would have thought about this sure, and I of course there's the part of me that's like, damn it, I wanted to be the run, one to write the Donkey Kong screenplay, right? Like, but removing all of that from it, I I can't be nothing but excited about this. Um, and and again, if you only care about the games, follow the trail. This is all going to lead to more games because. People are going to go see the Donkey Kong movie, especially if the, if they like the Mario movie and it introduces the character and they're going to want to follow him as, as they do. And then they're going to be like, I like I like this. Oh, there's a Donkey Kong game. I'm going to pick that up. And then the whole world is just kind of blown open for them.
0: I mean, my first my first reaction was to sort of go like, dude, yeah, totally. Put your name out there. You have you have an Emmy award winning resume. So there's ever there. And then I got to thinking about it and somebody who kind of has risen up out of the Sonic fandom named Tyson Hess was the, was the person that they, that they brought on board for the Sonic movie to redesign Sonic. And that gave him that, you know, that was very much responsible for the way that he looks in that movie. So, Mm. you know, stranger things have happened. So, so basically what you're saying is Seth Rogen, I know you're listening to this,
1: uh, Maybe Fred, maybe you're listening to this, but I'm I'm not gonna write the screenplay. But if you need it punched up mm-hmm. and, and you need you need to add more uh, uh, Donkey Kongness to it, I'm your <laughs> guy. I I'm your person. I'll do it. I'll do it under the table. We won't even put my name in the credits. Just it'll be our little secret.
0: <laughs> we all what? want
1: this to succeed
0: together. What would Mister Pants look like in CG? <laughs>
1: You know, it would it would be a tug of war in my psyche trying to like leave out the the like crazier uh connections, like oh I could I can make this very oblique reference to bleak. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but that would be nonsense and I'm not gonna do it. Um yeah, I mean this I mean this this is where we could end the episode, Josh, honestly. Like it's it's the the two biggest stories that haven't – like, the, the movie thing just kind of fell in our lap, but the theme park we've known about for almost half a decade. But now that it's confirmed, now that people can no longer doubt it or naysay it. I remember when COVID first broke out and people were saying the theme park is canceled, They're they're ending the theme park um because universal like announced plans that they were not doing their like epic universe expansion and they somehow misconstrued that as super nintendo world is dead um Mm -hmm. and you don't just pull deals like this that are like so far in the works anyway um yeah i mean josh really quick before we move on I, I am worried about how this 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 will feel having Donkey Kong reinterpreted on the big screen through through Hollywood actors and and writers and and whatever. How did you manage with the Sonic the Hedgehog movie?
0: Well, my answer there is basically, I guess, when I got into Sonic the Hedgehog, it was like twenty seven different things already. Even by that point, mm-hmm. Sonic the Hedgehog was never. It never had just one core identity. It was the games. It was two, like, cartoon series made by Deke Entertainment that ran at the same time and were completely, totally different from each other. It was the comic books. It was, it was another overseas comic book that I didn't even know about. So, just, like, throwing another interpretation of Sonic the Hedgehog on the pile, I guess. <laughs> Was like it was, and, and frankly, I talked about this back in the, like in the my recent episode. That was one of the things that really appealed to me about Sonic. It taught me the it it it's it taught me the concept of like a multifaceted continuity where one character can branch out in many different directions, and I've always found that fascinating and it's one reason people are people will try to tell me like, you know, this is the real Sonic. This is what Sonic's really supposed yeah. to be. And I'm like, there was never there was never one idea of what Sonic was supposed to be. So, I guess I would just say inevitably you're right. This stu- like whatever they do with Donkey Kong, whatever they do with Mario, I don't think you can reinterpret something like this for in a new medium and with a, and with such a mainstream audience in mind without it being kind of different i mean yeah. the mcu is is quite distinct from uh from what the marvel comics were or what the cartoons were but i think and i hope that whatever it however it comes out it'll still have that soul to it it'll still have yeah. the core it, it's sort of I, I I like the Spider-Man analogy a lot, where like into the Spider-Verse is not, at I'm sure what Stan Lee ever conceptualized in the 1960s when he was writing Spider-Man, and all these different interpretations of the character that branch off in different directions and have different tones. I'm sure that's like, but but they're but they all sort of follow this same core idea. Yeah, and they and they all they they all appeal. In different ways, but like with the same, with the same heart, I guess, if that makes sense.
1: Well, and I think we get so hung up on the notion of canon. Mm-hmm. What what's canon? What counts? What what can kind of disregard? And you know, up until this point, the only really dividing line uh, that that fans, Donkey Kong fans have had, is Donkey Kong Country fans have had, is the Donkey Kong Country games and the cartoon. Mm-hmm. And, and we can at least unite on the factor that, well, Donkey Kong's gotta have a great ass. That's, <laughs> that's, that's the most important unifying factor. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, everything after that, like it game wise, that's canon, that's canon. Oh, those, those books, those, those juvenile books, those aren't canon. Those, those, that comic isn't canon, but the games are canon. Mm-hmm. And now it's kind of gotten a little muddled because as far as the expanded Donkey Kong universe is concerned, we're getting all this, like literature and and comics that are canon to the games themselves. So it's kind of muddy in the waters a bit. As far if you, if you factor in sea of thieves and ukulele and even before that, the Viva pinata cartoon. And, and so it's like, well, a donkey Kong movie or a donkey Kong appearance in the Mario movie, that's gotta be canon. And I don't think these will be canon. I really don't. The more I think about it, I think they will probably inform the main canon uh as something this huge will often do. It will inform the public's impression of canon for sure, sure. Which is why it's so great that the Cranky Kong thing is gonna be in there. Do you know how many people still think the Joker murdered Batman's parents? Because that was what was in the nineteen eighty nine movie. Um Yeah, <laughs> I mean yeah, you know, even after like Batman begins and and you know the the more geekification of culture, there are still people out there who think, well the Joker murdered Bruce Wayne's parents because I saw it in the movie. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this stuff matters, but if you're really like comic fans have been dealing with it for years, right? Like if you're into the comics, well, this is the comics continuity. The the movies don't count, but you know, you can still enjoy them because I enjoy Batman. And so I will enjoy this interpretation of Gotham city. And I think that's what Donkey Kong fans need to get in the headspace of, Mm-hmm. So, because I don't think Miyamoto is ever going to come out and say these are canon to the games. This is this this is one hundred percent the continuation of Mario's story of Donkey right. Kong's story. That's yeah, not and, Miyamoto.
0: And, yeah, it's like company. It really goes against a company's best interest to do that because if you say okay, this is canon and this isn't canon, then you're kind of limiting yourself not just in terms of what you can do with the series in the future. Because okay, well, if this isn't canon, that means we're never gonna work with it again or we're never gonna see it again you're gonna you're gonna in you're gonna probably gonna enrage the people who really like that part of the canon, and like it's just gonna make it a tougher sell the next time you wanna go back and like market that part and market something from that again, yeah, but you right think it go- you're right it goes back to what I was saying earlier about sort of the fandom lens versus being able to take yourself out of your own expectations to an extent because like as an example there are issues that I had with the way that Sonic's character was portrayed in the movie and and I recognize that that all came down to how he differed from my idea of who Sonic quote unquote was supposed to be and Mm -hmm. I can raise those criticisms and raise those concerns but at some point I think it's also important to be able to step back and go okay it might not match what i wanted it to be exactly but does that make it a bad character and that and, the, and those are two like entirely separate like arguments right yeah yeah so i'm if something in this if something in this mario movie or something in a future donkey kong movie or even something in this new game that epd is working on contradicts your expectations for what donkey kong should be that's not in, it's not invalid to criticize that but I think it's like it's just take a, you, like people need to sort of prepare themselves to be able to take a moment and sort of ask, but d- but is it bad on its own merits? And <laughs> but, the answer may be yes. the The answer may be that this still sucks. Maybe maybe this still doesn't make any sense. Maybe this is a bad character. But if it's a bad character, or it's a bad decision or a bad interpretation. It's bad because of the way it was executed and not the way. That it stands up to what Donkey, how Donkey Kong was portrayed in, say, the 1990s cartoon, because you know there there will be, I'm sure there'll, I'm sure there will be people who, uh, are ex are expecting him to break out in song. That's very mimetic. Yeah. And as
1: somebody who hates that, mm-hmm. who who absolutely who who I guess went through this when he first tuned into the Donkey Kong Country cartoon show on Fox Family that that one weekend morning so excited so excited because i saw it in tv guide because that's how old i am and i was <laughs> like oh my god there's a Don on country cartoon
0: oh my god i know oh, it's this coming. so well man i read that i read that feature many times as a kid
1: And, uh, you know, I was just expecting all these great things like, oh, my God, I hope Rambi's in it. I hope I hope he rides Rambi. And and then you see it and they break like it's just like, wait, what's happening? Oh, no. (laughs) And uh, but I I've gotten to the point where even though I will never enjoy the Donkey Kong Country cartoon personally, I just can't. It's just it's just too wildly divergent. Um, I respect that people do enjoy it, and that I'm quite appreciative that it, yeah, even through the its memes, even through its meme status, I'm appreciative that it's brought people into the series, mm-hmm. that it played such an outsized role in having converts for K. Roll to get into Smash Brothers and ultimately reviving the character, and and that's what this movie will be, even if we hate it. Um, that this movie will bring in Donkey Kong fans, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I can't see that as anything but a good thing because more Donkey Kong fans equals more people who are going to be willing to buy the games. And again, if that's all you care about, this is a good thing.
0: Sure, absolutely, and also, you know, the cartoon hit. The cartoon was also, I think, aimed at a significantly younger audience than the game than the the original games were. And I mean that the games were sort of targeted at just sort of the general gaming audience as it existed in the 1990s. Uh, the cartoon was definitely, and, you know, I enjoyed the cartoon as a kid because, because I was still at that age where I could, I would go into something and just sort of take it as it is. But I think in 19, in like, what was it, would have been like 1997, you were at that perfect age where, Not only were you going to like be put off by anything that was be that was like targeted so obviously at children, you were going to be you were if it was something you cared a lot about, you were going to feel this feeling of betrayal over it. And Um, I didn't, and I, I never cared about
1: anything to the extent that I cared about Donkey Kong Country. As I've said, like I've never had a property that kind of just hit me in all the right spots. I've been a hardcore fan of many things by that point, but it never felt like something was made specifically for me until Donkey Kong Country came along. Because and, you was, and
0: because you had these expectations for it and you knew what it could have been. Yeah. Um yeah. and I can I I can totally relate to that. Like I think the DKC cartoon probably hit you in a lot of the same way that something like Sonic Heroes hit me. <laughs> And accordingly, yeah. Now you see, people are surprised to learn that fans in 2004 did not like Sonic Heroes.
1: Yeah, and it's amazing, like how many people are still shocked that I don't like the cartoon. What, well, you're, you're DK Vine, you're Mr. Donkey Kong. How do you not like the Donkey Kong Country cartoon? Right. I was like, I don't. I, I've, I've talked about this actually for three decades now. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> across three decades, I have had, I
0: have had to talk about this. So. But, like, um, over time, people calm down, the zeitgeist changes, a new generation comes up in that, like, the I think people will always, I think fans, especially fans of children's properties, like, well, not just children's properties, quote-unquote, but things that at least partially target kids, there's always going to be a contention on the internet that just tears into anything new. Yeah, that's true. But that stuff sort of just falls down the memory hole in about ten years.
1: Just like people will love the Star Wars sequels. People will love Rise of Skywalker oh, yeah. in 10 to 15 years. It's gonna happen. Like, deal with it. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember people hated Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi was the bad one, right? Um, now, like, now, now it's just like, oh, it's part of the original trilogy. It, It is, everybody loves it. Return of the Jedi. How can you not love it?
0: Like, but people hated the Ewoks. Yeah. I've heard that before, like, yeah, yeah, you could always, there was this generational gap in just a couple of years between yeah. Star Wars fans who, who loved the, the first two movies and didn't like the third one.
1: And there there are Star Wars fans who hated Empire, you know, like, wow, it's just, geez. there are some Star Wars fans who literally, the, the first one, which we now know is A New Hope, is the only acceptable Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, Darth Vader is not Luke's father that's nonsense that's a stupid retcon
0: return of the jedi is the dkc3 of star wars says captain cheesebag in the chat
1: it is it (laughs) it totally is even though the ewok village was in the first one but uh, you know, uh it it does have a lot of bears (laughs) that's true yeah so the the other major point and, and i don't have much to say about this is that donkey kong does have a home now at epd we haven't seen the fruit of that, of that, that. Uh, let, let me rephrase this analogy. Donkey Kong has a home and he's planted a tree, and the tree is growing, and it hasn't bore fruit yet in this tree in his new front yard at Nintendo EPD Acres. But, <laughs> but you got to give it time for the fruit to grow, and it's going to be a bountiful this is, harvest.
0: This is beginning to sound like the analogy on the back of a GameCube box. <laughs> oh my
1: god, we all live long enough to see ourselves become Miyamoto or yeah. we die the hero. Um <laughs> No, I mean I I know there's there there's doubt. There's been doubt instilled because this rumor it's not it's not a rumor it's happening but that that this uh this story that dk vine's been talking about for a couple years got roped into the e3 hype cycle this year by by clickbaity artists and leakers and then legitimate news sites i realize that it was inescapable that as soon as that became the case there was going to be disappointment and people who maybe just heard about this for the first time Based on the major news sites covering it then, we're, we're going to just like immediately dismiss it when it doesn't happen because we have short-term memories. Because if you're not a hardcore Donkey Kong fan, if you don't listen to the conversation every week, you're gonna forget about this. And, and so I, I get that, but you're just gonna have to take my word for it. It's still happening. <laughs> especially now like i i haven't been given any more like leaks about this project right like so i I don't know if it's 2d or 3d i don't know any of that but you look at the news of the past two weeks of course it's still happening like the epd wouldn't have just a bit like ah you know what we can't find a good hook for donkey kong just junk it just throw (laughs) it in the garbage you look at the millions of dollars that are being sunk into donkey kong right now in hollywood in uh in osaka in orlando wherever and you're like yeah yeah a game is coming it's it's like i we don't even need leaks at this point it's transparently happening uh and between that and and like donkey kong having its own merchandising wing of nintendo like i've said like it's Everything shifted around 2017, 2018. And it, it took a while to see the writing on the wall. I'm just throwing in every analogy I can think <laughs> of at this point. It, it took a while to see that writing on the wall. But um, I, I think it's blinding now. It, it's been written with uh, like neon paint. It's coming back. The 90s are coming back in every way. We got neon now.
0: Well, th- that, uh, being, that being said, I do want to say... I understand and I can relate to the feeling that it's it's harder to feel that way when there's when there is still uncertainty when there when whatever this is still hasn't been announced um if the 90s are coming back I guess what I'm saying is I feel your pain baby but <laughs> oh my oh no <laughs> <coughs> That was the worst Clinton impression I've ever no, done. But I've never pretty done bad. a good one, so holy shit. Mine has
1: gotten pretty... Mine is atrophied to the point where it's essentially uh, a, a dead appendage. Uh, <laughs> Steve McCorkle of Rare Gamer does a spot-on one that'll pull out something. And I'm just like, well, I, yeah, I I can't do it anymore in light of his. But, um. <laughs> but it,
0: like, earlier today, actually, I was... Trying out the new Donk City course in Mario Golf in the new Mario yeah. Golf game for Switch, and I found myself playing as Donkey Kong going into like the, one of the time trial modes, hitting the ball, and then just running off and like platforming around because like because <laughs> like so thirsty am I for an actual new Donkey Kong game no. that like just the idea of being able to play as Donkey Kong running around New Donk City is exciting
1: that takes me back to mario kart Kart 64 where i would just go off royal raceway around the castle grounds as donkey kong being like oh my god i'm donkey kong in super mario 64 it's like i'm donkey kong in a 3d platformer (laughs) oh because i was so ready for that donkey kong in 64 game Mm -hmm. that i was angry at banjo kazooie when it was announced and conquer Yeah, and I hated them. I hated them because Rare was betraying me (laughs) by making these games. There's a lesson in there, again, people. There's a lesson in there. Banjo fans who who hate whenever Rare does something that's not Banjo. I'm just saying. I hated Banjo once upon a time.
0: And I think a, a lot of this is just really easy for us to say, because as we said at the beginning of this episode, we've been through the buyout, and not only have we been through the buyout, we were, like... We were engaged with the fandom, we were engaged with the internet, we were engaged with the zeitgeist at the time, and so it's very easy for us to look back on ourselves and kind of be like, man, you know, we were kind of making a we, we were making a lot of mountains out of molehills back in those days. We were not but that again, the criticism like- was unwarranted at all times, but the amount of personal stakes that we put into it. <laughs>
1: You got me there. Yeah, yeah I, I was just thinking back to to the drama and hysterics of uh, they're not even going to put Donkey Kong in Super Smash Brothers Brawl. Yeah, they're not yeah. they're not going to do it. Uh, yeah, and and yeah, at the time when we held that interview, uh, that that mistranslated interview with the Jungle Beat creators as you know basically canon. Uh, it's can you know canon to the actual history of the world
0: it was taken as like the the definitive mission statement for how nintendo itself saw donkey kong country yeah and, and
1: while it was like outside studios like Payon could get away with it right like nintendo was gonna like choke donkey kong and to an extent though like it their ethos of you know e- each team should create their own concepts and creations and then that leads to so many classic characters getting squeezed out of retro's games. Mm-hmm. Uh th- there is some truth to that. I'm not trying to say there isn't, but we we were being overly dramatic about it. And and now like like I said like the buyout era was so much better than we gave it credit for, but I'm saying this era that we're in now is so much better than the buyout era because we have that direction and we also have Donkey Kong Country fans reportedly Working on the new Donkey Kong game, like people who grew up with the games, like us who fell in love with it. Uh, you see, look, look at New Donk City and those references in there. Like, we have a Rattly the Rattlesnake reference in New Donk City. What Rattly, Rattly in Guard couldn't even get into Donkey Kong Country Returns.
0: <laughs> I remember when Tropical Freeze was revealed and we saw swimming, and it was just like, I mean. And guards definitely going to be in it then, right? Yeah, yeah. There, are,
1: there are other reasons to be happy too. There, there are other things we 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 look at. Like I mentioned, the new new Donk references and where we can kind of jump off from from there as far as the level of characters returning in the EBD game. And I don't know who's going to be in it, but. There's no longer that fear, right? Like, well, we, we, we can't we can't go that deep into the well. We, ha- we have to keep the surface level. Who is most vitally important? You're still going to get that, but they're not going to be so fearful about referencing things. Because they realize now, Donkey Kong does have its fans. And we are fans of the characters. That's the biggest thing that the ballot did for us. Mm-hmm. The Smash Ballot. And, and them... Seen the support for King K. Rule, who they had written off, they like they they didn't think he mattered, right, to Donkey Kong fans. And and when when they saw that, I think it did galvanize uh, a contingent at Nintendo EPD who were fans of it too, and they were like, "This is our chance." Mm. And I, I, I'm, I'm. This is me just spitballing here. I mean, this this isn't anything I. And privy to, but you know, it, it, it definitely makes sense, right? Like if, if the fact of the matter is K Rule effectively won the ballot, uh, or, or was one of the winners of the ballot, then all of a sudden that gives the entire cast of that era, this new level of credibility in, in certain people's eyes who make these decisions and the people who maybe wouldn't have been able to get them in before now have a lot more say. And it's like, yeah, let's reference Radley. Let's, let's throw in a reference to tiny Kong. Why can't we, there are fans of this. We see that with the ballot. K Rule returned in super smash brothers ultimate. And now K Rule is this major, major icon of Nintendo of gaming. Josh, four years ago, that would have been unthinkable like yeah, absolutely we 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 would have hoped for it but and i don't think it really resonates with outside fandoms like it would be like if uh eggman what was was not in a sonic game for like 15 years
0: yeah that's that's uh, that's true i mean eggman was very consistently usurped as the final boss and <laughs> Not sure. taken as a threat for about ten years. But sure. I guess but they still used them. They did. They did. There's a balance I, I really want to try to strike here in talking to the people who are feeling disillusioned. Um I guess it's one of those things where, like I said earlier, it's easy for us to say, guys, this has happened before. We've been through this. Don't worry, it's all gonna work out, it's gonna be okay but i can kind of understand like for example if you right now could talk to yourself in the mid 2000s and sort mm-hmm. of tell yourself this is going to happen this is the way it's going to go these these port like jungle beat is so much better than you think it is um these the, the ports that are coming out right now are going to make a whole new generation of donkey kong country fans would that have done much of if anything to curtail the way that you felt yes and no mm-hmm. i think
1: um for one thing it would be like what do you mean i have to wait that long yeah for sure <laughs> like like the, the gulf of time even at that age to, to the present day would have seemed like an eternity
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and so i'd be like wait so like what do you mean I have to wait until 2018 to get another Donkey Kong character in Smash Bros.? Yeah. You,
0: you, you have to wait, like, not just until the next Smash game, but until the one after that. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I I think I could have calmed myself down, but it's just... Um... I, guess, I guess what I'm saying is, to a certain extent, it's easy for us to sit here and look back on how we used to be, and how the fandom used to be, and the things that we used to feel, and kind of be... I don't know, maybe too hastily dismissive of the, of the, of the passion that we felt both for, both for ill and for good. Yeah. But to a certain extent, the reason we don't feel that way anymore is the experience, is just having that experience. Um, the remedy is the experience to now move my references past the 1990s. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I guess, Let's see. I had I had somewhere I was going with that <laughs> before I got <laughs> sidetracked by Jason Raz. Yes.
1: <laughs> oh, I thought it was Jason, Mister As. I, I <laughs> badass. <Billy Guns> <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> we didn't work him. Me and Bart did. Uh so yeah. I mean, I, I I get what you're saying, and and you're
0: right. Like it, it is it's kind of experience you have to have yourself. And for that matter, I remember who it was. Sorry. The balance, the balance that we need to strike here is for example, just because it is almost certainly the case, for example, to take it back to star Wars, that 10 years from now, 15 years from now, we will have a generation of people who fondly look back on the sequel trilogy and hold it in the same reverence that ever, that everyone does doesn't mean that criticism of the sequel trilogy is in some way meaningless or invalid or doesn't count. Yeah. Like, it is perfectly okay to criticize media regardless of of how or whether children right now are going to like it.
1: Yeah, I, I I think like um, my my point with this episode, I don't want to say that people's feelings are invalid because mm-hmm. a lot of this is like your own personal journey, and you have to kind of get to yourself. You can be told, uh, you know, like oh, it, it's it's this way, and you don't have to feel this way. But it's it's something that a lot of people just have to kind of find their own internal compass for, and and find their own direction. And and you know, you're you're right because. Even if I had gone back in time and told the me of the mid odds that everything was going to work out essentially in the long run, it's, it still would have seemed like this remote thing that I kind of have to see for myself. And I'm, I'm glad that I didn't have future me coming back because <laughs> I needed to kind of have that growth to get to where I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I need to have those stumbles along the way. It's just part of the human experience. It's, I mean, the, the gray, if if there is any grand spiritual meaning to why, like, just, just why, why are we here? uh, I I think it is that journey, you know, not, not to get all uh, hippy dippy woo woo on you, but you know, it's, 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 it's my belief when I'm, you know, I don't know, walking through the forest and I feel really connected to everything. I'm like, ah, this is the reason. <laughs> and I'll have to share this on my podcast about Donkey Kong. Dude, but, that, uh, I
0: appreciate that. That's That sort of thing is something that I think, for the first time in my life, I've really struggled with going through the pandemic and going through lockdown and being so cut off from everybody. So the the fact that we can talk about that we can wax philosophical about the meaning of life this way <laughs> on a donkey kong podcast and how and how <laughs> how meaningful the journey is is genuinely something that something that feels good to me
1: i mean yeah anybody who plays donkey kong country and feels those feelings in you know coral capers or uh bramble s- scramble you know like th- those are the feelings i feel when i'm out in nature too and so I have these great philosophical thoughts and it, it's why I could never be uh, like completely removed from uh, just, just very clinically minded. Right. I'm always thinking, you know, this grander like, well, me, you know, maybe this is why we're here. Mm-hmm. And rather than we're just all a bunch of biological organisms who make a mess of things and die like, no, it, there, there's a grander narrative to it. And, and I And I think it's it's ultimately to become better. Uh, individuals better better embers in this
0: grand cosmos um but yeah i mean <laughs> you, to, you're right to pull it back a little there's no way that i could go back and convince my 18 year old self not to be personally offended by the way that wwe was positioning john cena <laughs> <laughs> but had i not gone through that experience I never like I wouldn't be able to relate to the way that people feel about things now, and I I never would have gotten to the point that I am that I am now where I can you see might say, that was a that was actually a really good idea that actually made a lot of sense in the long you, run. But you I might didn't say have a perspective c- to see it that way. Yeah, you
1: might you might say you you couldn't see him uh. back then. <laughs> might say that <laughs> I wouldn't. That's low hanging fruit, <laughs> but. Mo- moving uh, moving beyond just Donkey Kong, if you're just in it for Donkey Kong, right? Okay, uh, we- we've listed out all the reasons and I think it's a pretty solid case why we-, we should keep the faith. But there's also the Donkey Kong universe to consider, Josh. And the fact that in 2019, I know 2019 seems like this distant remote thing that the pandemic sort of nullified, <laughs> but 2019... Nintendo acknowledged Banjo-Kazooie's connection to Donkey Kong and Banjo-Kazooie got into Smash Brothers in a DKU themed trailer. Holy hell. Yeah. Holy hell. In 2019 this happened. We're a long way removed from when Rare was writing about Conker being Diddy Kong's friend on their website, right? 2019 Nintendo has a trailer where Banjo and Kazooie show up in the Congo jungle, and and and, and Donkey and Diddy and and K
0: Roll are like, yeah, what the f- what? Um, yeah, that was huge. And then I always think of that shot at the very, not the very very end, not the coda, but the near the end of of that trailer where Banjo and Kazooie are posing in front of like all these other video game icons. Uh, yeah, most of the Nintendo Nintendo themed, and just how much that brought me back to like what we saw, like for example, on Nintendo's websites in the 2000s, where where this series and these characters were positioned in a, in such a similar way.
1: Yeah, they were big league Nintendo IPs for like four years. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it seemed like longer to us at the time, though.
1: It did. It did. Um. And, and like the fact that Nintendo can recognize the DKU even in such a small way and in concert with Rare. Um, like it, it means a lot to me. Let me, let me explain this concept I've been kicking around in my head, right? I call it the spheres of canon. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. So it, it's a way of, for fans to understand the way the studios and companies view the DKU. Okay. So, so the inner core of the spheres. <laughs> That's Donkey Kong and nintendo okay that 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 is like held as the canon for all outer spheres right right so so in the sphere that that's just outside of that, we have uh a rare canon that Nintendo acknowledges affects Donkey Kong, and that's banjo kazooie and you could even make the case. I, I maybe wouldn't, but maybe make the case for Rares, Dinosaur Planet, Mythology, and Star Fox in that that layer of, of canon. And then we have the inner outer core. Um, oh, that that that's what I just said. So then we have the <laughs> uh, the middle core outside of that. That's Rares' shared universe: Conquer, Ghoulies, Mister Pants, Viva Pinata, Sea of Thieves, so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that and so everything. Like Rare would acknowledge Donkey Kong and and everything outside of that, but Nintendo wouldn't acknowledge any of that, right? So, so the Nintendo like Conquer, the, whatever doesn't count, but but to Rare, like that's an extra layer they can add onto it, and then we have the outermost core, and that's now Platonic, and Platonic sort of acknowledges everything in the spheres beneath it. So DK Vine views the Platonic core, the outer core. As the canon, we uh, we embrace and adopt. But, whew, I feel like I just went off the rails there.
0: <laughs> I'm confused as to why your your metaphor isn't reliant. You're, you're using, like, cores and circles. Uh, I feel like it should be banana-shaped. Uh, I just really
1: want Donkey Kong to punch it. I just want to see if I can get him to just hate the idea so much he punches it.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, because it's like, okay, so... I I wouldn't expect Rare to reference ukulele in Sea of Thieves. That mm. would be nonsense, right? Right. But but, Platonic has acknowledged banjo and 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 Conquer and and Donkey Kong in their properties. So it, it's just like just a way of viewing uh, the the different layers and and where you fall into a particular sphere indicates like how how expansive of a fan you are, sure. right? So, so you might just be in the Donkey Kong sphere, like that's all that matters to me. But but maybe you're in the that outer inner outer sphere where it's it's kind of like Banjo, which Nintendo sort of acknowledges now as, as being related to Donkey Kong. But you know, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we have that connection, right? We have that connection reestablished, even if it was just for this brief game. That but that's still so meaningful. To me, to everybody of that generation, to, to the people who might pull up the internet archive and, and go back to the, you know, the Wayback Machine and view Nintendo's website circa 2000 and pine, for, absolutely pine for that time. We got it back, e- even if it's just in this one game, and, and I'm I'm always going to be grateful for that. Go back and watch our reaction video from that E3. It was me, Cameron, Jeff, Mitchell, all sitting on the couch together. Uh, those tears were real. Like they, none of that was put on, because um, it really did hit us. Like, oh my god! Like our childhoods have just been validated at long last.
0: And I think that's what that's what's so, sort of difficult to connect to. Maybe if you didn't grow up with with that Nintendo, is that yeah. like. Being able to see Banjo and Kazooie standing, like, standing there alongside, like, being acknowledged in the same breath as Donkey Kong, having, having their trailer so, like, mirror K rules and, like, acknowledge the acknowledgement of what that would mean to people of, like, in our age group, like, it felt like the Nintendo that you grew up with that you never thought you were really gonna see again was kind of made whole again.
1: Even in the humor deployed, you know, like, Donkey Kong scratching his ass and, and just <laughs> like just just the stuff that like Nintendo is kind of like washed out when they became super corporate
0: when when they got a haircut, you know. <laughs> uh. Oh, I don't I don't think Nintendo Nintendo under a was was like super corporate uh, per se. If anything, I, I would say they're more corporate now than they now than they were then.
1: Sure, I just I just associate it like oh they they changed their logo to just gray yeah gray yeah. <laughs> Nintendo logo <laughs> yeah that, I just, that's, that whole that's Wii what era I, when I think when I think of like the colors when you just like think in, in terms of colors to a particular era like I imagine the nineties is like purple and green and like like just just all sorts of like extreme coloring and I picture the the mid aughts era of Nintendo. And, and like into the Wii era as, as gray. Mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. just gray. Just, just the fog. <laughs> but yeah, th- that is a reason to be excited. And also, I, I don't think we can undersell just the, the different position that Rare is in these days compared to where they were in the buyout era. I, I know not all of you are into Sea of Thieves, but Sea of Thieves is now Rare's most successful game. Like ever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, I, I think like that is just crazy. That that is that like they've come a long way from Grab by the Ghoulies, absolutely bombing on the Xbox. Yeah, for sure. And and Sea of Thieves, uh, they just made references to the Kremlin's, like like there there are so many references to the Kremlin's, uh, in the new game update, and it's just like. Little cheeky, like puns, like crocodile core, and and like saying like these weapons were like in so many words built on crocodile Isle, and ju- just like incorporating where they can little nods here or there for us, you know, um, it, it's it's so cool. And then we've got platonic, and and platonic, I think is. M- makes so much of like rare, uh, be-, be, making things like Sea of Thieves and, and maybe not making that next banjo game that fans have. Well, at least you have Platonic, right? And, um, they just in 2019 again came out with what, a- as effectively, uh, an, a variant Donkey Kong Country 4. Like, imagine if key members of the DKC teams made a sequel to DKC 3. Ukulele and Impossible Layer is one of the best platformers I've ever played, and we've got that in just like
0: the last two years. Man, I am like, <laughs> just hearing this is making me because you know we talked like 2019 seems like much longer ago than it really is. I'm like, man, yeah. I want, now I want to play Impossible Layer again. Yeah, I mean, I mean,
1: this is not the buyout era redux. We we had more games in the buyout era, but and And Gibbon has brought up like Nintendo's whole philosophy in in the that era as as you kind of alluded to earlier, Josh was more scattershot. It was like let's be different with this generation. Let's do different things uh and but also, th- we
0: never i I think it's a major factor too when you're look when you're sort of comparing the output of the of don of like the Donkey Kong series or rares games in that era to this one. I guess really just the video game market in general is that the market has changed a lot in the past 15 years or so. Um mm-hmm. and the things that like primarily I think a huge factor that people sometimes I think sweep under the rug a little bit and they just say, "Oh, why doesn't Nintendo want to make these games? Why don't why how, how come we used to get so many more?" is just like how much more expensive video game development is now? And also, how much of sort of the the budget that used to go into, like, making spinoffs or making smaller games or making more budget titles now tends to go into the mobile market. Yeah. Um, No, it's true. That's something I really noticed a couple of years ago. My wife and I got into collecting GBA games for for a summer. And going to retro shops and digging through there, like, the amount of, like, movie tie-in games and, like, shovelware (laughs) that used to exist... (laughs) like you don't really see, get a whole lot of games like that anymore uh because the market has changed so much it it feels like games have to matter more yeah.
1: if that makes any sense but you also didn't have the indie market the yeah, indie gaming true. market that you, that you have like steam is a game changer and and just all these these digital marketplaces on the big consoles game changers we wouldn't have been able to have platonic um uh, 10 years ago you know right. um 15 years ago um and it was it was a rare that was struggling to find its place in a rapidly changing marketplace still doing things like they did it in the 90s now we have a rare that's kind of evolved and from rare's evolution we got Platonic, which as an indie studio can still kind of do things the old way uh in a way that fits them benefits them and you know it financially turns a profit and, and, I and think they're that's also publishing you, games now
0: i think that's why like you bring up platonic like to it from a certain perspective of anything that we've talked about like because i you know i don't know what Playtonic's working on but i think that's why i'm almost in a sense knowing knowing nothing about anything that's coming Already preemptively looking forward to whatever it is they're working on more than yeah. anything else that that might be in, that might be out there because I'm more confident that it's going to appeal like to my tastes uh, more so more so than I am anything else.
1: I think Impossible Layer was such a brilliant second game mm-hmm. because it dispelled all of the uh, question marks around Ukulele like the the original game like. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it, you know, because it, it, it was a divisive game, and and what Impossible Layer did was it it was just this brilliant, genius game that scratched all the itches that a fan of two D platforms would want scratched, and evolved it in a way. It had something to say rather than we are just making a game like that game. Right. It right. it actually it actually said something new and contributed something new to the genre and felt like it built off a skeleton um, that they had already uh, been building on in the 90s. You don't build on skeletons, you they decompose, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I know what you uh, mean. The, Reverse skeleton.
0: It, it felt like an... It felt authentically in this, like, an evolution of the Donkey Kong Country, like, original trilogy formula in a way that you can only, sometimes only really get out of the original creators who've spent you know decades um, ruminating on this. Yeah, you know,
1: it, 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 and I love Returns and Tropical Freeze, and I never want this to turn into Returns and Tropical Freeze v. Impossible Layer. like what's the better mm-hmm. one? Because uh, Impossible Lair d- clearly took some influence from Retro's games too, Absolutely. but as far as the overworld goes, the, the quote-unquote map screen, that is exactly, coming out of DKC3, what I would want DKC4s. Overworld to be mm-hmm. like just keep because that's where d k c three really innovated right was the map screen and and what you could do on it and it kind of took a page out of super mario worlds but but i think um you know they both had something to say but i I think impossible layer just took both concepts and just like went went to town on it and basically made a top down adventure game as the map screen and it just I, I I adore that game, and I would say that even if I wasn't a character in it, um, that doesn't influence my opinion whatsoever. But my my point I, being, I am with not all a character this, in it, and I love it. There you go. Uh, that's why you're here, Josh. Uh, because I couldn't invite Cameron on this episode; he's a character. I couldn't invite Jeff; he's a character. Like
0: we're it just it just uh, we're, we're we're too we're we're too deep. <laughs> but I, I mostly I just couldn't come up with a with a geek critique B pun.
1: Yeah, I'm. I we're 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 too we're 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 getting close to three hours. I yeah. can't think of puns at all right now.
0: Perfect I'll, time I'll, for I'll a fifteen tie- minute B pun intermission.
1: <laughs> Maybe a P intermission because <laughs> of the bladder situation. Uh, no, I I w- want to tie it all together though because no matter where in the spheres of canonicity you fall into. <laughs> There, there are reasons to be excited right now for Donkey Kong and the Donkey Kong universe. It, it, like, I think everything is firing on all cylinders. There's another metaphor in there for you. It, it's such an exciting time, whether you're a Donkey Kong fan, whether you're an expanded Donkey Kong universe fan, or you're just a fan of the creators who made the games way back when. There, there is something in the works for everyone right now. And. Yeah, I, I just want us to kind of remember that when we're feeling down, you know, when when we have those moments of doubt in the dead of night or we look at what's trending on Twitter and it's not Donkey Kong and we feel bad about it. Uh, we will be trending on Twitter again, friends like it, it's and we will be trending more and more and more. There there are so many good things happening. Don't let the trauma of the past affect your future, learn from it and, and, and kind of process it. And, um, and, t- and tomorrow will be a lot sunnier, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess.
0: And if you get disheartened, I mean, the demographics of Twitter are also just very, they're, you know, they're very specific to Twitter. I ran a Twitter poll the other day, just, just, just for my own, <laughs> my own enlightenment, like pitting the GameCube against the N64 and the GameCube handily won, won that one. But then you go oh. on like com, and they ran a poll, I think last year asking something similar and the, and the, the Super Nintendo ran away with it.
1: Yeah. So it's none of this is scientific. Thing. Yeah. It's demographic. None of it's scientific. If he went to TikTok, uh, I'm sure the Wii U would run away with it <laughs> yeah. or, or, you know, like
0: <laughs> the Zoomers love the Wii U, right? I'm just going to, I'm just keep pretending that's the case.
1: Just, it's funny because TT was never on the Wii U. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. His name is TikTok, josh i don't know if you okay so anyway uh <laughs> we have some calls let's play them uh i'll play one at a time we'll talk about it and, and then we'll wrap it all up with some hugs because you know we're, we're vaxxed we can hug each other mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh <laughs> i still won't go to a movie theater but i will hug you josh uh and we'll send out the good vibes to everybody all right uh let let's Let's play this first call.
2: Hello, uh, Kyle. Hello, Josh. I was very excited when I heard that you guys were going to do an episode of The Conversation talking about why there's reason to be hopeful for a new Donkey Kong game, things of that nature. Uh, the podcast you did back in May, the Heard Any Good Rumors one, is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, it's just, I really appreciate you guys kind of like keeping positive spirits and hopes up as we still haven't gotten any official confirmation for this new game. Um, and I just uh as someone who hasn't listened to the conversation for a long period of time, I just got into it recently. Uh I'm free candy on the forums and uh I dabble here and there. I haven't been a member too long, but I don't uh I don't post that often. I, I lurk a lot more than I post. Um, I've been kind of catching up on old episodes and I just want to thank you for everything you do, both Heil for everything you do for DKU and Josh. I really enjoy your geek critique videos as well. Um, I don't have a question or anything per se. I'm just really looking forward to the episode and you guys talking about all the things that are going on with Donkey Kong and why there's reason to be helpful. And I just uh, thanks again for keeping the positive vibes going. And uh, guys, have a great day. Thanks. Bye.
1: Well, thank you for the call, free candy. Um, and, and I don't know if that's like liberate Candy Kong or if it's, it's like the creepy clown way. But uh, either way, great to have you.
0: Yeah, what, what uh, an incredibly um, kind caller.
1: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, it, thank you well, so much. Well, thank and, you, and you have a thank great you for, day too. Yeah, thanks for sending the good vibes our way. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's let's uh, play the next call. Hey there, Hyle. It's uh, Jebaha. Um,
2: so, I saw that you were going to be doing the uh, episode about uh, where we are in the state of the uh, Donkey Kong universe, Donkey Kong Country, all that good stuff. And uh, I just wanted to say I'm kind of in the same spot of just being uh, really excited about what's going on and what well the developments are. And, you know... After seeing the Metroid Dread trailer E3, uh, for some reason it made me even more optimistic for our future because it shows me that Nintendo is paying attention to what's going on and, uh, at least really to some degree. So I hope we can get the same kind of, uh, treatment for our series and, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see what's gonna come down the pipeline and, uh, I'm really happy to be a Donkey Kong fan these days.
1: Uh, thanks for the call, Jebaha. It's, I, I don't know if you heard it, Josh, but it sounded like there was some sort of tropical bird in the background of that call. And I'm like, is Jebaha already there in, in Super Nintendo World, Donkey Kong Country? <laughs> uh, sounds like it. Sounds like uh, maybe he's in a rainforest cafe. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Metroid Dread is is a good point because I hate this, this, uh, animosity, which is almost forced at this point between the Metroid fandom and the Donkey Kong fandom. We're not natural enemies. The only reason this has been built up is because Retro Studios d- made games for both. And for whatever reason that, you know, meant if they're working on one, they can't be working on another fight. Like, like here's a sharpened stick. Mm-hmm. You, you fight over retro now. Uh, very territorial Nintendo fans, and this is why it's ultimately a good thing that Donkey Kong will have a, a kind of permanent base of operations again. Uh, as, as they said on the last episode, as as we said on the last episode, and as they say on the DK Vine forum, Donkey Kong has just been kind of crashing on people's couches for the past twenty years, mm-hmm. and and because of that, he's been crashing on couches that. Uh, are in living rooms that were already claimed like Metroid, right? Or you know, f- claimed by the fans. Uh or oh, Retro's Metroids uh studio. You can't you can't Donkey Kong, what are you doing here? Get out. Um being an EPD circumvents all of that drama because EPD is enormous. There's so many EPD teams and they're they're all dedicated towards keeping these franchises, keeping the torch alive. Retro kept the torch burning for uh you know most of the the, uh the 2010s but uh i i think now this is going to be more of an eternal flame rather than uh rather than like a oil-soaked rag on a stick
0: (laughs) i've just it's just sort of hit me that by the time a lot of people are hearing this i'm probably playing dread right now for (laughs) yeah (laughs) man that's exciting
1: and so, Yeah, and, and it took that long to get Metroid Dread. And, I, you know, it's, it's not like we're going to be getting Donkey Kong Racing, because that's very uniquely tied to Rare. But, you know, hope springs eternal. You know, cra- crazier things have happened in getting Metroid Dread to our own fandom in just the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, like, so. if Dread can happen, if Sonic Mania can happen, you know, there's no reason that eventually, someday... Like, you know, forever is a long time.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: Donkey if Kong K. Racing If K roll and happen. Smash
1: Brothers, if K Rule and Smash Brothers can happen. Yeah, exactly. It, you know. <laughs> if
0: Pancho yeah. Kazooie and Smash Brothers can happen.
1: And here's the thing, like, if if Nintendo gets Donkey Kong on solid, you know, ground again, solid footing again, who knows? They might go back and say that trailer, eighty three, two thousand one. That was a great concept. What if we revisit that ourselves? Yeah. It won't be exactly the same. Taj the Genie won't be there. But you know what? It, it would still be pretty cool. So, you never know. Uh, thank you for the call. Thank you.
3: Hey, this is Jeff's friend, Jim Answer, And my question is, what if I was a very old-school fan of the DK series-franchise? What if, hypothetically, let's say I was... Famous conversation character Jeff's grandfather, um, also known as Jeff's grandpa. What, what what would I have to be excited about about the new generation of Donkey Kong in the future? Thank you, G-Man.
1: You're a, you're an interesting cat. What can I say? Uh...
0: <laughs> Shouldn't you be harassing
1: Gordon Freeman? <laughs> uh i i think g man's question is if you're a fan of the arcade donkey kong and and if we're saying donkey kong country is obviously the direction that everything's headed as the brand identity what's in it for you if you're if you were there 40 years ago <laughs> in arcades pushing quarters in the machines are you being left behind for those damn 90s kids yeah these
0: damn millennials <laughs> Uh it reminds me of that story that's, you that's told actually- you told of that guy at uh I believe it was GameStop who was excited about Mario versus Donkey Kong cuz he was like they're finally bringing back the real Donkey Kong.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um man, I had a lot of bad experiences at GameStop from that era. Like they tried to get me to not reserve Star Fox Adventure. Jesus.
0: Oh fuck. my god, really? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, I'm not going i not going to go down that uh path again. That, that path leads to tears. So <laughs> I ultimately reserved it at Circuit City, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) Remember Circuit City? I do remember. I liked Circuit City a lot, actually. Red Best Buy, yeah. Just just Best Buy, but Red. Uh, Yeah, so this is a great question, actually. And I I feel like what we we have to go off of is uh, things like Super Mario Odyssey and Mario Kart Tour, oddly enough. So I I feel like where Nintendo is going to keep the arcade imagery alive is through kind of retro throwbacks and homages. Uh, you're you're going to still see arcade stuff because it is absolutely vital to the identity of Donkey Kong. Even if if Donkey Kong Country is sort of the brand going forward, you're you're still going to have the arcade stuff referenced all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think. Weirdly enough, by embracing that aspect with Cranky's character, you're going to see a lot more of it, because they're going to be able to do it in a lot more freeing way, acknowledging that, yeah, this is the original arcade Donkey Kong, um, in a way that maybe you didn't in the aughts when they were trying to dance around it and have it both ways, where like, oh, oh, the modern Donkey Kong is fighting Mario in Mario versus Donkey Kong. I I think you you've seen it deployed in like odyssey where mario fights a sprite of arcade donkey kong right you've seen it in mario kart tour where donkey kong jr is brought back as a playable character but he's this super nintendo sprite he's he doesn't have a modern model so it like whenever those aspects of the arcade era come back they're going to be almost like pulled back from the past Like, like they're they're almost like time traveling, and and that's that's
0: that's sort of where my where my brain went too. It's the fact if you if you if if a fan of the arcade era Donkey Kong wants something to be excited about, the very fact that in the Mario movie it's not just going to be Donkey Kong making an appearance, but Cranky Kong as well, I think speaks Mm. extremely well to the possibility of how that will be portrayed.
1: Now, if you don't like. Rares evolution of the canon, you know the original Donkey Kong being Cranky Kong. Mm-hmm. You're gonna hate this. You, you're gonna hate the future. If if, <laughs> if you're an angry NES kid from the mid two thousands, yes. <laughs> yeah. If if you were that person at GameStop who who was giving me shit, yeah, cry and cry some more. And that's uh, <laughs> that's
0: the thing, man. It's but but I don't think there are a whole lot of people like that. Let me put let me put it like this. There are definitely still people who prefer the arcade Donkey Kong, but there aren't people who are angry and cynical and like pissed off at the very concept that Donkey Kong could ever be anything else anymore. And I think that's the like what we've been talking about throughout the whole episode. That's sort of how and why this cycle perpetuates. Is because Mm. the part the part like where we are now. Is where like the arcade Donkey Kong fandom was circa 2010 when D.K.C. Returns came out, where like they have the perspective now to know that okay, well this isn't exactly catering to us, but like you know that's okay. We've been through this before. We can accept it on we'll accept this on its own merits. And um, I I think that I think that's a large part. Like every every there's always a new group of people going through this, you know? Yeah. And and all we can do
1: as uh, an older experienced generation is is try to try to give them a helping hand mm-hmm. along the way. Maybe they won't stumble quite as much as we did. Um yeah, and and yeah, like I, I think the arcade era will continue to be embraced. Cause here's the thing, here's the great thing. That experience I had in a two thousand three GameStop, right? Mm-hmm that's that's not the case anymore i i don't think there is any rivalry between arcade era fans and country era fans i think we've come together as one fandom um and, and and i think like we we acknowledge the arcade era as a vital part of the history and and i think a lot of the arcade fans even if they're only into the arcade games well they'll always have those right and, and so they're never going to get donkey kong 4 with the return of Stanley the Bugman oh, and, and but whatever.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you're still going to have that era celebrated and you're going to have the, you know, the the arcade games continually ported and brought back. And I would love to see, you know, one of those one up arcade machines. But for Donkey Kong, mm-hmm. um, I, I would totally buy one of those. Even I'm not even a big arcade era fan and I would still love to have one of those. But um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 going to be continued to be embraced and homaged and you're going to see references and you, you might even get, you know, a throwback every now and then. Cause I, I'm not going to say the Mario versus Donkey Kong series is even dead. You know, mm-hmm. um, we, we could see a throwback to that, but I think it'll be done in, in a lot more of a considerate way for what the brand is. And, and you're going to have like that. Yeah. Like it would be great to have Mario versus Donkey Kong, but it actually being cranky Kong, mm-hmm. Right. Mm. And we we could actually have that, who knows, but I, I think all era of Donkey Kong fans will be represented going forward, whether it's arcade, whether it's rare, whether it's buyout era, uh, I, I don't know if like Hoofer or Orco will ever come back, but... Uh, I think, you know, retro is definitely going to be well taken care of and then into the EPD era where there will be new fans and older fans will complain about certain aspects here or there, but that's just evolution. Mm-hmm. That's just generations.
3: Thank you for the call, G-Man. Thank you very much. Hey, hi, Owen, Josh. This is Thomas of the Kremlin campaigners. First, wanted to extend my thanks for consistently putting out such great discussions I've been in the middle of uh, marathon training for a few months now and in need of audio material to stay sane on the longer runs, so it's been a godsend getting to go back and listen to some of the older conversations. The episodes you two have been on together tend to be among my favorites just because of the uh, dynamic you guys have and the perspectives you bring to the table on different fandoms. With this episode, I wanted to commend you for taking the time to look on the bright side where Donkey Kong's future is concerned. Speaking from personal experience, it's easy for fans to overlook the major good things we've got coming up, because we don't know how exactly they're going to look. We've been aware of them for so long that they feel as though they've almost become part of the status quo. But it's an intentional choice to keep on putting out a positive outlook as we wait for more info. That's something Eric and I have done a good amount of reflection on as of late, in an area where we want to do better in following DK Vine's example. I think it's still worth questioning how DK is handled and discussed in the present. But moving forward, I personally want to resolve to treat minor grievances more proportionately, with a more positive overall tenor. At the end of the day, we have so much to be thankful for as DK fans. How many fan bases can say they have the triple crown of a new game, a theme park, and a potential animated movie on the horizon? I owe your comment that this is going to be the decade of Donkey Kong is totally apt. And it's going to be with Donkey Kong Country as the brand. Just thinking ahead to how joyful everyone's going to be once we see what's up ahead is enough to bring a smile to my face right now. That's why I don't especially care if, you know, Kremlings don't have a significant presence at the theme park or if a potential DK movie is any good, when big picture perspective is, they're going to bring in generations of new fans to enjoy our series along with us. Over the long term, things are going to be okay. You know, I, I take that back if the Final Smash character isn't between Fedora Kong standing on each other's shoulders and wearing a trench coat, but we will cross that bridge when we get to it. Thanks, guys. Take care. Hey, thanks
1: for the call. Thomas of the Kremlin campaigners. Thanks a lot. Um, you guys do great work, too. Yeah, and I know it's easy to get worn down by the the day-to-day, right? Like, uh, especially when you've been in the trenches for so long. And, you know, you uh, particularly, you know, you were, like, leading the charge for the K. roll campaign. And and we got that. And, you know, then the shine kind of wears off. And and K. roll being back just becomes this uh accepted thing this this almost like it will never not be humdrum for me it it will never not be like um you know it'll never turn into this thing where it becomes mundane that Mm -hmm. k-roll is back but we've been living with k-roll back for three years now uh and and so it's it it does kind of become this thing where it's like well what's next what's next And, uh, when you're like running a social media, uh, account, uh, that, that has, you know, thousands of followers and, and they look to you to to say something sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's just hard. It's hard, especially when you don't have anything new to share, except keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith. And then you see everybody crumbling around you. And then it's like, how do you keep the faith Mm -hmm. when, You know, everything falls on you, but man, I can
0: absolutely uh, relate to that. Like it can be difficult, like how much if you're if you're too plugged into like the zeitgeist and the discourse and the consensus, especially on social media, it can be really hard for that to not affect your perspective. It's
1: also hard when you know things that the general public does not because mm-hmm. you still listen to the general public. And yes, it can shape your perception of things, even though you know. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's weird. It's just like this weird, like Schrodinger's cat where you're, you're both optimistic and pessimistic at the exact same time. This is
0: something that, uh, I, I had a, a media course that focused a lot on advertising and just public relations in college, and one of the things that he that the, the professor would always say is like the news can't tell you what to think, but it can tell you what to think about. And I think that that's especially applicable to like social media and like fandom discourse, because like there have been games that I've played and on my own I've I've enjoyed them, and I, I've had some problems, but like I haven't like gotten too into them but then i get online and like the discourse surrounding them is just so ugly and so negative and that ends up being what you focus on and that ends up coloring your perspective your perception
1: yeah uh for example star wars (laughs) yeah I loved The Last Jedi. I, I, I left, I left the theater and I was like, Oh my God. I think that might have been my favorite Star Wars since the Empire Strikes Back. That was fantastic. And I got online because I really, I was like, I can't wait to share this with the world. (laughs) And I got online and I, and I was just like, Was I wrong? (laughs) Oh, I was wrong. Oh, oh no, I was wrong. And and yeah, you're, you're right. Like it's funny. Like, if we lived in a vacuum, how different would our opinions be if we didn't have the the opinions of others to like wear us down and chip away at at what we think mm-hmm. and what we feel? And, and you know, everybody's entitled to their opinions. I'm not saying like one opinion is is more right than the other, but
0: but here's like the negativity thing. tends to be dense, and it also tends yeah. to follow a lot. Like it tends to travel a lot further on social media. Like social media sites want you to spend as much time as possible like using their platform and engaged on their platform and one of the best ways to do that is to make you mad unfortunately
1: unfortunately and that that is like the ugly secret of so, not just social media but also like clickbait yeah. sites yeah. like gawker media sites where like they are designed to outrage you and and unfortunately there isn't not a lot of nuance in that no. it it's it's blunt force trauma to the head and it just, you you get so demoralized, not just with, like, I, I run a Donkey Kong uh, social media account, and I'm, I'm demoralized because everybody's demoralized, but you get demoralized by the world around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's hard when your hobby uh, is not a refuge from that world.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's, <laughs> uh, it's just sort of reflecting everything you already don't like about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, anyway, uh, you, you don't, don't despair, Thomas. Uh, I think you're doing good, great work. Mm-hmm. And we, we all kind of fall into the, the abyss from time to time. Uh, and you, you pulled yourself out. And, uh, you know, we're, we're gonna, we're all gonna get there together, uh, I mean, one way or another.
0: It, like, totally. It's why I take Twitter breaks. Like, I'll just deactivate my account for a couple of weeks <laughs> just to get away from it.
1: Yeah, sometimes I go to tag you, and I'm like, where's Josh? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, like, n- like it, you know, most of the time I really enjoy the time I spend on Twitter. I really enjoy interacting with people. But, like, sometimes it's just important. It's important for your own sake to be able to get away from it, too.
1: Honestly, like, it's why I don't really read my, um, my feed. Everybody I follow, I'm sorry if it feels like I ignore you on social media. It's because unless I'm directly tagged in something, I probably won't see it because, um, for my own mental health, I can't. Uh, and, um, like, I, I've, uh, there's like, I always check out like Rare and Platonic and, and their social media accounts, Nintendo. Uh, there are a few uh, of our friends that I'll check out their sites and then, the great thing about, like, Donkey Kong having a t- topic on Twitter now that you can just see, like, all the like the hot Donkey Kong <laughs> tweets of the day. I can go through there and I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'll retweet that, you know. Um, but that's basically, like, I, I don't read everything on Twitter because I would go completely mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yep, thank you for the call, Thomas. And we have one more call to take, Josh. So why don't we go ahead and play that? Give our thoughts, and then wrap it all up, for now at least, <laughs> <For> now. <laughs> on uh, the fu- the future of Donkey Kong and why it's always sunny in Donkey Kong Country.
2: Hey everybody, this is uh, Crush of the Guido here, coming here from the DK Vine Forums. Uh, excited for the show on Sunday, and I had a few questions. First one being, you think the new video game uh, made by DPD Tokyo will be 2D or 3D, okay? And if it is 2D, which is what a lot of the rumors have been saying, uh, what elements do you think that they will take from the retro series? And what elements do you think they'll be taking from the rare series? And, or will they do something totally different like Jungle Beat? So, uh, uh, with that being said, uh, also from like a lore standpoint, do you guys think that they'll like bring the old DK house back? Will it be retro's DK house? I'm just trying to in my head imagine what the future of DKC uh, under Nintendo's in-house studio is going to look like. So, uh, thank you guys. This is my first time calling in in a long time,
1: so uh, I appreciate it and uh, looking forward to hearing you talk. Thank you for the call, Krusha. I don't know. Thank uh, you. Yeah, have you heard anything? I I don't know. Uh,
0: <laughs> if, if I haven't, if you haven't heard anything, I guarantee you I haven't heard anything.
1: <laughs> so I don't know, like two D, three D, uh. It it could be either one, it could be something in between. Um I I do know that uh w- what was in development once upon a time, um from from another studio uh that, that was scrapped before it moved in- internally. Uh was more on the 3D side. Um w- am I supposed to say that? I don't know. Uh but it um I don't know, because that project is not this project, right? And I think having a 3D Kirby game, it it could it it doesn't mean anything towards this project, but it shows you know they they could be venturing into 3D. Maybe they want Donkey Kong to be the premier 2D platforming um, brand going forward, and Mario will be in 3D. There there's many directions we could go in this, and um, there it would all just be hypotheticals and speculation though. Uh, I, I don't have any uh, declarative statements to make from what I've heard because I haven't heard. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm I very
0: comfortable sharing, like, hypothetical ideas of what it could be or what I might like to see. But I have – if you're asking, like, what do you think it will be, I have no way to have an informed opinion on that. Yeah.
1: Um. As far as, like, taking from retro, taking from rare, I think both. I, I, I think – whatever we're going to get is going to not be a complete break from what came before, like Jungle Beat, mm-hmm. because this is being made more as far as like, well, we, we we can't do that because we're a different team, and we have to be, re- and this game is going to be so radically different from what came before, we have to be respectful. I, I, this game isn't about that, it, it's about driving Donkey Kong into the future, mm-hmm. and I think they're going to be taking elements from everywhere. Maybe not so much Jungle Beat, but I would still hope some Jungle Beat comes along for the ride. Um, I, I think the fact that so much of Super Nintendo World's Donkey Kong Country expansion is based on the retro series bodes well for imagery, uh, sure, sure. like Donkey Kong's treehouse. And hey, Nintendo I mean, Donkey likes Kong's,
0: that. Donkey Kong's Final Smash in Ultimate is it, like does call back to Jungle Beat.
1: Yeah, and and K Roll's final smash has rares Donkey Kong Island, mm-hmm. so I I think like you're gonna have um some give or take here. Like, well, I, I Nintendo, uh, especially EPD, really likes playing in iconic imagery, mm-hmm. right? Peach's castle, for example, from Mario sixty four became the look of Peach's castle in in any permutation going forward. So I I think. You're going to see probably Rare's Island uh, because it's it's classically shaped. Um, probably retro's version of the Treehouse because that will be what's in the park, and also it's a little bit more distinctive than what Rare had going on. Although that will live on as the uh, the logo for the Nintendo Treehouse. But yeah, I I think it's it's going to be a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and a whole lot of new as well. If
0: there is anything that I can make an informed guess on. I would say that Nintendo's approach, and really the approach of most, you know, mascot platformer series, is that the lore and the look of things is at least somewhat in flux, especially, like, on, a, on, on sort of like a per-game or per-era basis. In other words, I don't yeah. expect that anything is going to come out that directly contradicts anything that we've seen before. Like, you're not going to have, like, for example, uh, Chunky Kong show up, and say that he doesn't have a younger brother. That's... Right. As as much as I might like that, but... Like... oh, I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) You just made the Kitty Kong Twitter account very
0: sad. I know, we're rivals. I like to think of it as a friendly rivalry. We're we're, we're both having a good time, I would hope. (laughs) But, but like, you, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, they're not gonna... They're going to do... They're going to err on the side of whatever is best for this era and for this game.
1: Yeah, and and I think, like, being Rare era fans where we do care about the lore so much and and continuity, it's going to be much looser than it ever was under Rare, but I, I think it will always work if you kind of squint sure, sure. and That's and I mean. sometimes we'll have to come up with fan wanks some sometimes we'll have to you know massage over the inconsistencies we've always had to do that it's always worked out yeah, you you had um, to do
0: that even during the rare era and you were so good at it that you that you would often convince me like i would look back several years later and be like wait the chest of time wasn't in the manual that was, what right <laughs> yes <laughs> like i would just i would just take your version of events as being like oh yeah that makes sense
1: it yeah i mean it, it that's that's i think an effective uh bit of fan continuity is always something that plausibly feels like it could be true maybe prosthetic golfing fingers is, is a bridge too far for some people <laughs> but it's at least an elegant uh, solution that is applicable to the game where it was introduced. Yes. So, uh, anyway, it's it, it's it's fun. It's it's fun. If if we didn't have to fan wank things, then I'm afraid that I wouldn't have any relevancy. <laughs> to to this uh anymore so like it's been hard especially with something like sea of thieves or ukulele where rare and platonic they know their fans so well at this point that they're already on top of everything and, and they've got all the details worked out because they know where. Work- so like i haven't had to fan wank anything for those properties uh, and it's uh it's been a little disconcerting so it'll be nice to be able to flux flex <laughs> Uh, that muscle a, a bit more, uh, give, it a, give it a bit of a workout again. Yeah, but, I uh, that's we, you're not going to get everything you want, and this is not going to be returned to the Rare Era, but it's going to be the best I think we've had mm-hmm. since the Rare Era. Uh, we're going to see characters we haven't seen in a long time. Um, there, there's going to be this greater potential for the future, and that's the important thing too. Is it's not just they're working on a new game; it's what comes after the new game. It's the game after that, and the game after that. The potential for sequels and spinoffs, even in relatively quick fashion. I, I think that has been what we've been lacking because we've said before, like the buyout era. The reason things like King of Swing and Jungle Climber didn't do well, all that well, besides from like a lack of promotion, was they felt like spinoff titles that were lacking the core title to tie it all together. Um, Jungle Beat was the mainline Donkey Kong game on the GameCube, but too many people viewed it as a spinoff, like they viewed Nuts and Bolts as a spinoff. It didn't feel to the general public like there was a mainline Donkey Kong game. In that generation, which is why that generation almost dismisses Donkey Kong by and large. You know, um, so I I think having that core game is important. And then but especially are we going to get sequels? Are we going to get spinoffs? Is there that stability that we haven't had since Rare? That is where it really matters, because it doesn't really matter. Right. If a specific character doesn't appear in the new game. So long as we know that another game is on the horizon, and and they could appear there, what made the lack of In Guard and Tropical Freeze so devastating was was that when's the next Donkey Kong game going to be? When are we going to get In Guard back? If we couldn't get him back in this game, is he just gone forever? Right, right. So, thank you for the call. Thank you for the um, call captain cheese bag and a live stream asked, they're definitely going to have some kind of banana themed snack in dkc world though right <laughs> i i would hope so i'd like we haven't seen restaurants in a diorama or or like food shacks if funky's flying by I might sell it maybe but uh, i would hope like there there would be something uh in there like some sort of eatery um I was trying to think like what foods they they could have because sometimes I think about like making a Donkey Kong cookbook. I, I can't cook, but I think like that would be a fun project, right? A, a Donkey Kong cookbook. But I'm trying to think like outside of like Donkey Kong's birthday cake, uh, like like and, and bananas, which are just a self contained piece of produce. Like what what would you have? There's well, there's the um, banana
0: milkshake slash juice box. Not 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 entirely clear what it is that Dixie Kong drinks in her idol animation.
1: I always just said that was Mountain Dew. <laughs> uh.
0: <laughs> I think I had a strategy guide that claimed it was a banana milk cake. Okay, so that's, that's uh,
1: nice I was like anti gravity chocolate. No, that's Conquer. They won't go that deep. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, any, anyway, I, yeah, I'm looking forward it's going to be exciting.
0: Just like getting to go to Super Nintendo World when this when this thing opens. I I have a friend who lives in Japan and is just always like saying man you need to come visit, you need to come visit. And that's <laughs> that's going to be really great.
1: Yeah, I like I I would love to visit Japan. I would love to, you know, go to Osaka and and just see it, you know, but if if I have to wait to Orlando, I have to wait to Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um it it will be surreal to like see what little elements cuz i see like it, thomas brought this up in his call like the fear that like the kremlins won't be mentioned at all in in the theme park and i i think there's always potential uh for for stuff to be in there like we we're not going to see like the gangplank galleon right like but there might be a claptrap. Mm-hmm. It, it, like a claptrap animatronic. There might be somebody dressed as K-Rule walking around. We, we, we don't know. Like, the, I think that's gonna be what's really the fun. The Mario
0: side of Super Nintendo world is as it, like, even as it is, is like teeming with little illusions and Easter eggs and stuff that you can, that you might be able to notice if you're looking for it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure this will be very similar.
1: Yeah, so like just because the diorama focuses on returns and the concept art has some tropical freeze in there, doesn't mean we're not going to get stuff like Ellie. Ellie the elephant was in the diorama, so it shows they're thinking way back. You know what? What they could they incorporate in a fun way? Mm-hmm. So that that's that's really like it, there's one thing knowing it's coming, but having it announced and then the game over the next three years of like are we going to sneak glimpses of it? What are we going to see? You know, that's going to be really fun. That's going to be a lot of fun, like little, little tiny news stories. Uh, every time there's a, uh, a, a satellite photograph or, or somebody can get up from a high vantage point.
0: That's said, I, I wouldn't expect at this point, I don't know. Anything's possible. Don't hold me. Don't hold me to this, but I wouldn't expect this new game to be announced this year at this point. Um, I, no, I think the September no. Direct was probably the latest. I don't think this is going to be a Diddy Kong racing situation where <laughs> this... Guess, guess
1: guess what, Josh? Metroid Dread has been delayed till June of next year. Uh-huh. You're in, Donkey Kong.
0: <laughs> Tag, you're it. Well, I, if it was following that exactly, then we'd be getting Ridley racing. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah i i think like as far as like the expectation the timetable for the new game i don't have anything to say there um covid the nintendo still has that covid message at the beginning of the directs mm-hmm. like as i said please understand that uh covid is still a thing and it's slowed down game development the fact that this park was being talked about super nintendo world was being talked about as like Um, launching last year and and potentially the Donkey Kong side of things being included in that. And now we're saying 2024 is when we're seeing the Donkey Kong stuff. Um, It just shows how things can be delayed. And um, the game... Will come when the game comes when it's ready to be announced. Nintendo's usually very strict these days about not announcing something too ahead of time. They'll do it occasionally, like Metroid Prime Four, and look where it's gotten them. Yeah. Um. And, and you know, you you don't they don't want a situation where it just becomes phantomware, where it just becomes this thing that's always on the horizon, but but never. Uh, scene release Yeah, nintendo so...
0: nintendo had a reputation back in the back in the n64 era for announcing games and then delaying them over and over and over again i think they probably mm-hmm. they, they they may have underestimated how much more difficult 3d game development was going to be um and just all them all how much more how many more complexities would go into that so yeah i've I know what you mean, like these days, for the most part, Nintendo doesn't announce something until it's going to come out within the next year, and often a lot closer than that,
1: yeah, so that being said josh let's 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 tie it all up into a nice present that Donkey Kong can find in a key temple mm-hmm. and eventually unlock his way to secret seclusion, which in this analogy is is the bright future ahead. It's okay. It is okay to feel down about all of this from time to time, because we're only human. We're we're fallible. We're we're mortal. We're we're fleshy. We're weak. We're pink on, on the on the inside. You know, you you, you tickle us, we'll giggle. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes.
1: But in the end. We've, we've all got to remember what we've said for the last three hours here on this conversation. Because this, you know, Donkey Kong, the DKU, the spheres, (laughs) however you want to define it, this should be your escapism from how terrible the world can be. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if this of all things is bringing you down in 2021, then you're going to need a second hobby. You're you're gonna need to escape from this one, and who has the time? Who who has the time for more than one major hobby? And then, Josh, what happens if your hobby is stamp collecting, and then the internal sabotage of the United States Postal Service then makes you sad? Then you're gonna need a third hobby. See what I'm see what I'm saying here. It, make sure that Donkey Kong is bringing you joy you got to Marie Kondo it. Let Donkey Kong bring you joy, or else you, you got to keep some distance between, until they announce a new game.
0: If Donkey Kong's bringing you down, go watch AEW.
1: And j- just think about when Diamond Dallas Page teamed with uh, Carl the Mailman Malone. Oh, now I'm thinking about the mail again. <gasps> this has been a File 2 production. <laughs>
3: ¡Qué rico.